Welcome to episode 71 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast, proudly brought to you by H. Parsons Funeral Directors, an Australian family-owned and operated funeral director serving the Illawarra since 1893. Firstly, I'd like to sincerely thank all of the interviewees, listeners and the football community of the Illawarra, Australia and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the tremendous people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Robert Fryer is our interviewee in episode 71. Born in 1954, Robert's first memories of football are at primary school with Worthington Road. From this point forward, Robert progressed into representative teams with the Altrincham Sales Schools team and Cheshire County, which ultimately led to a series of trials with professional football clubs in the United Kingdom and his signing with Birmingham City Football Club. After finishing with Birmingham City, Robert had a meeting with South Coast United's former star, Jim Kelly, in the UK. And after agreeing to terms to play with South Coast United, so began Robert's journey into Australian football in 1972. For the next three decades, Robert, as a player, coach and administrator, was a part of many clubs and many special moments in the Illawarra and in Australian football. Robert has experienced the full set of emotions in his football life and at the heart of it all, he is grateful and respectful of the game. He is competitive and disciplined, but more importantly, understands the connection that clubs have to their communities and the friendships that are developed at clubs. I enjoyed immensely recording and listening to Robert's time in the game, as he has had a wide array of experiences. I have sincere appreciation and thanks for the time Robert allowed me to be in his home recording and the effort he gave in helping me flesh out his football timeline. Please enjoy episode 71. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the lovely surrounds of Wollongong or specifically closer to the harbour and I'm here with my very, very special guests, which I've waited a while to do, and, and Robert Fryer, well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Travis, and it's, uh, as I say, it's been time putting this together and I yeah. do, I do apologise, but uh, thanks once again for the invitation. No, no, I, I sincerely appreciate it. From the beginning, you were born in England in 54. Uh, what are your first memories of football? First memories of football would have been back at primary school with uh, Worthington Road. Um, and uh, uh, that primary school today is still there. Uh, often drive past it when I go back to the UK. And we played in a, a strip very similar to Blackburn Rovers, you know, with a, a quarter blue and white. Yeah, but basically, back in those days, primary school, you, you just played for your school. Uh, from about eight, the years eight to to eleven, till you went to secondary school or grammar school. And did you take to football straight away? Were you a fan, or did you reluctantly join in because friends did, or did you love it straight away? Well, I think as you well know, uh, it's uh, football in England is a religion. Yeah. Um, so everybody 
really based football. It's football, 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 and and football again. Uh, so yeah, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed kicking the ball around the playground and and not making as many players as you could in those days. And in terms of those Worthington Road Primary School days, uh, what are some of the memories that you have from from that primary school itself? Well, we're casting our minds back a fair bit now, aren't we? But uh, certainly uh, just playing in a team, uh, playing with mates. Um, and then obviously when, yeah, just summer holidays, we used to play in a, a local council seven-to-side tournament. So yeah. th- those are the things you remember. I think we actually remember winning the seven-to-side tournament back in the summer holidays and getting a little little medal from the, the councillors at Sale Council. Cool. Yeah. And for yourself, did you then, uh, once you'd started playing there, started sort of kicking around after school as well? And After school, I used to live in a little place called Lydgate Road, which is a cul-de-sac. And we used to use, in the cul-de-sac, um, the two gates opposite each other as goals. So uh, um, outside school, uh, we'd be out there in the, in the, in the road um, uh, being a nuisance, uh, ball going in everyone's garden. Um, every afternoon so yeah that's what we used to do people uh, in the Illawarra would predominantly know you as a, an attacking player from from when you played over here but uh, in those early days is is that where you gravitated towards in a position sense yeah and no, I always I always used to play up front uh, whether it be on the right or the left I was predominantly right footed but I could use my left foot um, you know I enjoyed the the thrill of scoring goals um, uh, yeah, and I, I predominantly played there really all my life. Uh, once you started playing at, at primary school with Worthington Road, they then became uh, representative teams. Um, can you go into uh, a bit more detail about um, what the what the representative team sort of fixtures became and 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 the games that you played in these representative teams? Yeah, predominantly primary school, it was just into schools. Um, and then when you moved on to um, secondary education from the ages of 11 um, to well, obviously 15 or 16, um, you, you were, well, it was Altrincham Sale back then. Yeah. So Altrincham Sale was a small district represented by about 14 schools. So we played... Um, I played with uh, Salemore, uh, it was called Norris Road Secondary School. Um, fortunate to then represent Altrincham Sale uh, as one of those 14 schools in, uh, in inter-county games. So you'd have Cheshire, because Altrincham Sale uh, was in the county of Cheshire. Yep. Uh, so I was fortunate to represent Altrincham Sale and then be selected to represent Cheshire against other counties. Uh, and then from that, you'd, you'd get the English schoolboy side right. selected. Um, I think we spoke earlier about when Cheshire played um, West Germany. Um, so I can relac- yeah, recollect, I can recollect that, that, um, that uh, invitation, or as I say, when we played uh, uh, West, West Germany. So we actually defeated um, uh, West Germany um, 3 1. Wow. Um, in uh, in a game at uh, in Altrincham, and then West Germany then went on to play England in a series at Wembley about two months later. So uh, were you um, at that point in time uh, 
excited about these opportunities that the football was giving you in terms of these representative teams and then to to play against a, a national schoolboys side it must have been exciting stuff for a for a young teenager well well it was because uh, once once we started playing for cheshire that's when i was probably about 13 14 um in that game against germany we won 3-1 i was fortunate to score um two of those goals uh, and then things probably started to develop from that because that's when scouts from uh, all over the country are, are obviously looking at um, well any form of talent. Right. Um, there's so much talent though in in the UK yeah. that doesn't get discovered um, that's out there. So did you have it in your mind? Although, like you said, it's a long time ago. But did you sort of have sort of thoughts that potentially that you might have opportunities in football um, professionally? Um, early on, no. Um, yeah. I was really focused probably you know, 11 and 12 uh, and 13 on education. Um, I really had thoughts of um, uh, being a, a draftsman. Uh, I used to love technical drawing and mathematics. Um, and it was only when uh, a, a good friend of mine, still a very good friend, um, David Allison, uh, as we spoke about before, uh, whose father was the the son of uh, Malcolm Allison, who who was the manager of Manchester City at the time. So he joined our school when he was at the age of thirteen, okay. and lived um, uh, a bicycle ride away. So we became very good friends, and we played with um, Norris Road uh, secondary. We played Altrincham Sale, and then again we played in, in with Cheshire Boys. Uh, and that's how that came about. Um, so from about 14 and those those games with Cheshire, that's when um, I got uh, invitations to to go and trial with different clubs. And was it that um, uh, representation with Cheshire that you then played against the Manchester schools in a game? And, and can you tell the listener uh, the importance of that game in terms of the numbers in Cheshire versus the numbers in Manchester in terms of kids available to play? Yeah, well, we go back to the, the as I say, the Altrincham Sale. So Altrincham Sale, uh, with the 14 schools, uh, yeah. you'd play into into uh, uh, different areas. So Manchester boys being one of the largest areas, uh, of course, with that represented 400 schools. So and we played um, Manchester boys... And, and beat Manchester boys 5-1. Wow. So we had a pretty good side, <laughs> um, as you can imagine, out of 14 schools. Uh, and uh, we got the opportunity to play Manchester boys uh, at Old Trafford, which was a big thrill, 7.30 yeah. at night, under lights. Certainly we didn't get 75,000 people, <laughs> but we uh, we probably got a handful of people there Um uh, playing Manchester boys. And then we got the opportunity then to play um, Birmingham. Yep. Uh, uh, we didn't play at St Andrews at the time. We played at um, um, the training ground, uh, which was near the airport, uh, and we drew nil-nil. Now, Birmingham, once again, it's another area that would have had about three, 350 schools, huh. and we drew nil-nil. And that's really where it all began. Uh, well, shortly began, but earlier than that with... Uh, uh, trials with um, Preston North End. Uh, I had a week with um, Sheffield Wednesday, and uh, uh, and then 
obviously what came about then was the the game against Birmingham. So before we go to that game against Birmingham, some of those trials, uh, is it just uh, is it just me as a huge football fan and, and lover of the EPL? But was it a huge thing for you and to play at Old Trafford um, as as a young teenager? It must have oh. just been a thrill. Oh, it was, a, it was an enormous thrill to to be able to play at Old Trafford. Because as a as a youngster uh, from the age of nine and ten, I used to go to Old Trafford, being a Manchester United true supporter, um, <laughs> with my sister, um, uh, and we used to watch uh, the likes of Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton and George Best and Pat Stepney and Billy Fowkes and <laughs> uh, then Brian Kidd, um, Willie Morgan, Nobby Styles, Pat Crerand. Um, we used to watch these players. I mean, George Best was probably the best player I've ever seen uh, play. It was just uncanny. So it was extra significance for you, as, like you said, as a true fan uh, of, of the Red Devils, that you then got to play on, on the Hello on, Turf. On the Hello Turf, that's right. And, and Manchester United as a team of supporters, we, it, it's always about entertainment. And that's what you always want even today. It's a, not, not necessary to win every match, but to entertain and that's, that, that's the Red Devils probably lost their way over the last few years, but they're starting to hopefully uh, come back to the old days. So you're playing uh, school football and, and, and playing in these representative teams. So um, how does it come about in terms of the communication or how you receive the news of um, your first trial at, at Preston North End? Yeah, well, once again, you just get approached um, while you're playing for your school and county. So uh, these scouts would have to speak to the the, the coaches uh, or the teachers of the school yep. to to then speak to us yep. uh, and parents. Um, so as I said, we, the first one was an invitation to go to Preston. Yeah. Uh, and, and what was that like? Oh, I think I've got a little picture there, uh, which we've shown you before. Well, the it was playing with the first grade and second grade squads and training matches, you're, you're like a little kid. Uh, um, but uh, it's very exciting um, to be out there at Deepdale, yeah. uh, having a kick around. Uh, and we spent, what, two days two days at, um, at Preston. And, uh, and it was probably about that time, because David, obviously being the son of Malcolm Allison, he only had one vision. And his vision was simply he was going to be a professional footballer. And I sort of came along for the ride, so to speak. Um, and he got a couple of trials, obviously, at Preston and eventually went to Blackpool. Um, I went to Sheffield Wednesday up there for a full week, which was very impressive. impressive. Yeah. Hill, Hillsborough was very impressive. And the Birmingham uh, situation came about when we, as I say, we were invited to play that friendly against Birmingham schoolboys at uh, the train ground. So four of the four of the squad at that stage, and I wasn't included, were already invited prior to that game to to trial. And at they were, Birmingham. At Birmingham. And they were, yeah. they were going down there for a week. Okay. So we were due to finish the game, and they were staying. So this is around 67, 68, roughly? Yeah, yeah, it would have been 67 then, yeah. Yep. Um, so we went down, as I said, with that result nil-nil, um, uh, which was a great result. And Stan Cullis was the manager, and he was the former England centre-half. Yeah. Uh, and a chap called Don Dorman was the chief scout. 
uh, and they were there watching that that fixture uh, and we finished that game and uh, my teacher came in and said um, have you got a moment um, Stan Cullis and Don Dorman would like to speak to you wow. so you know, as a 15 year old you're <laughs> a bit daunted by by that discussion and uh, that conversation simply went look we were we've got four of your teammates trialling um, uh, with us next week um, we just want you to sign for Birmingham City um, which is a, a bit of a, a bit of a shock uh, <laughs> and um, he said uh, if you don't mind uh, I'd like to ring your parents um, when you get home tonight and that's how it started so Stan Collis personally rang my parents and Extraordinary. In, yeah, and invited us down to St Andrews uh, for the day to look around at the facilities um, and uh, I got there and they said look get changed and went on the San Andrews pitch with the first ranked squad and uh, yeah so it was very impressive um, and hence why I initially or eventually signed with Birmingham City uh, although my, uh, the colleague from Preston wasn't too happy at the stage. Um, <laughs> so for yourself was there a, a, a discussion between yourself and your parents about you know like you said you were focused on your education you had potential I ideas of being a draftsman was there a discussion there about well here's this opportunity it's great um what did they say to you um well it was it was left to me even though I was 15 years of age um there was no interference from my parents I think my mother was probably not disappointed um she she wanted me to continue an education and and to some degree um, Stan Cullis did did say that um uh, when I mentioned to him that you know, look, I, I wanted to be a draftsman, and, yeah. <laughs> and his son had already got a degree from the university, and they said, look, we'll, if you want to continue your education, we'll organise yeah. that for you. But soon as you start being full time as an apprentice, um, you, you, you're, you're stargazing in, uh, into the sky what you what you can and can't be. So, what was that like? Uh, you, did you leave home and have to live in digs near near St Andrews or the training ground in Birmingham? Prior to starting there, it was int- very interesting, just prior to the um, gathering for the pre-season, basically. They said, look, come down, come down. We've got we've got some trials going on. Um, uh, we'd like you to, to participate. So you're signed at this point? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. I, I'd signed apprenticeship forms, for which is about four years, like any apprenticeship. Yep. Uh, anyway, I've gone down there, and I could not believe the train because the, they had three train pitches, and there would have been about four hundred players wow. all being interchanged and uh, uh, trialling at different stages. And so, the fir- when I first arrived at, uh, as you say, talk about digs, there were we had um, the maximum, uh, which is about fourteen apprentices. So I went into Diggs um, uh, with another chap. Uh, his name was Robert Lewis. He was a, a fullback, came from a little country area. Uh, and the ladies, the lady that uh, owned the Diggs, so her husband, wife, and, her, and the son Archie, uh, they've gone, well, we've got two Roberts, so we can't call you both Robert. <laughs> so you're called to me Bobby. Well, right. my mother hated that. that <laughs> so... Yeah, so they looked after us uh, in Diggs. So I was in Diggs with them. 
uh, with Bob for a, a, uh, probably about six or eight months, and I was in digs with Trevor Francis. We can come back to Trevor yeah. a bit later on in, in, as we speak. Um, yeah, so they you got looked after. You know, they, they wash your clothes, they provide you meals. And what was it like as an apprentice? What are those? What's that initial year like as joining a new club? You're still, you know, like you said, 15 years old. You're turning into a young man. So, so what do you actually do um, apart from the football stuff? And and what was the football stuff like? Yeah, well, it's amazing, really. Um, uh, as an apprentice, well, they try and teach you principles of, uh, you know, that it's not all about, you know, roses. You, you know, when I say that, so you're sweeping the, the stands at, at at times, or you're cleaning the showers, and obviously. The old boot room where you're cleaning everyone's boots, yeah. but they were they were just things you'd expect to do as an apprentice. You'd pick up the professional clothes. So as pros, they just get changed. You'd get their clothes. You put them in the drying room. But obviously, it's England. You're training in the rain. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So look, it was uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. And on the football field, uh, did you find your feet pretty early? Uh uh, amongst the youth or, or reserves team, uh, how did that go? Well, I was, I was quite fortunate because I, I I used to pride myself on training, training hard. Um, so I, I got fit very quickly, probably, and, and some players really came to the forefront. And I, I suppose towards the, the last year of my contract, uh, I, I got got injured later on. It's far better to finish good than start good. I, <laughs> I, I decided, but. Uh, no, no, it's um, in terms of um, uh, once you turn pro, uh, which I did, uh, you, your week consists of about 14 hours a week. Yep. I could probably run you, run you through a normal week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you'd play on a, a, a Saturday, yep. uh, of course, um, and if you were injured, uh, you'd have to report to the ground on Sunday uh, for, for treatment. The doctor would check you over and... And then talk to the physios and uh, and coaches as, about rehabilitation and what your program is. If you're obviously not injured, you'd turn up at Monday at um, at around two okay. uh, for training. Um, your kid would be all laid out for you. You get changed. You do about two hours on the training field. Um, Tuesday morning, you'd turn up at ten because you've got a game on Wednesday. <laughs> so you just do a light training session. A light training session. Would probably be like a normal session, a normal session when you came back to district football here. Yeah. Um, but it'd be a light session, finishing with a little bit of uh, you know five aside, seven aside. Uh, you turn up Wednesday, uh, jump on the coach to go to whatever fixture was on. Uh, Thursday you'd be off. Uh, Friday, Friday you'd turn up at ten for a two-hour training session, and then on Saturday you play again. So yeah, that was your. That was your week when you when you turned pro, and so uh, those years as an apprentice, um, was there a point where you thought, well, am I gonna am I gonna become a professional? Are they gonna give me a professional contract, or did you know with the the body of work that you were putting together at the training ground and playing that you would get a professional contract? Yeah, look, it's difficult. You know, I I, I often think about uh, when you talk about. Um, uh, mentoring or someone pulling you to one side and saying we want to work on this part of your game. I, back back then in the in the late 
um, 60s, early 70s, uh, there didn't seem to be that focus on the individuals. Okay. It'd be a tra- in, in, you do your normal training and go through routines, but not, not really one-on-one. Okay. Um, but early on, I mean, I, at 16, I was playing in the reserves. Um, uh, I had a couple of um, pre-season games with the first team. I played at Rugby Town. It's yeah. one of the pre-season games and had the thrill of scoring then in a 2-1 victory for Birmingham Rugby. And that was a real thrill because rugby, you talk about rugby town, but you go in a small little town, but there's a lot of people. There's probably about 10,000 people for this fixture. Wow. Um, so that was uh, certainly a thrill. So I played two or three games in the early pre-season. Never did make the first team in the normal season itself. Um, unfortunately, Stan Collis got sacked um, uh, at the wrong time. We got uh, That's football. Um, a chap called Freddie Goodwin came in with another coach called Willie Bell um, and George Dalton. And they came in from America. They'd been coaching in America. Um, they had different ideas on how to play systems. Uh, with Stan Collis, we used to play really 4-4-2. Yep. Um, uh, so I was predominantly involved because I was a uh, right or left-hand side orthodox winger, yep. prepared to go up and down the park. Um, Freddie Goodwin's system slightly changed, um, went more to 4-3-3. And uh, I turned pro, um, but unfortunately after 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 the, going into the second year of um, I was released. I was given a, a free transfer. So before we get, uh, talk to that sort of next transition there yeah. uh, of where you went, can you talk a bit about Birmingham City as a club mm. and some of the players that you trained with and watched and interacted with, like like you said, Trevor Francis, because it was a huge club. So yeah. can you talk a bit about some of the, the people that you interacted with? Yeah, well, you, if you look at the apprentices that uh, um, joined at the same time as I did, um, there was Trevor Francis, of course, um, who played for England and played in in uh, in Italy. Yeah. Um, and Francis, I mean, I, I I thought I was fast. Uh, he was he was grease lightning over <laughs> say five yards. Um, uh, Paul Cooper, who played with Ipswich Town for many many years as their first first team goalkeeper, um, and Kenny Burns, uh, who played for Scotland as well as uh, uh, Notts Forest, a really hard man. Uh, they were just three of the players that were in the you know apprentices that came came through in that in that in that time. Unfortunately for me, that Trevor Francis played in similar position to to myself. Um, uh, and as I played early on, uh, and then he re- basically got in the first team, scored a few goals, and that's history. But he was a great player, lot lots of speed. And what about some of the other first team players, yeah, uh, or squad that you know you might have had interaction with or developed? Yeah, a relationship well, you, with? you've got uh, the likes of Tony Hately. So uh, Tony Hately was the first hundred thousand pound man <laughs> back in the back in the seventies. And Tony Hately was probably one of the best headers of the ball you, you, England has ever seen. Um, so playing and training uh, with Tony, because a couple of times obviously he'd come back from injury, he'd be playing in the reserves, uh, and all he'd really want is balls floated into the, to the box. And he, he would be like, a, as we used to say, like a salmon coming out the, in the air and he'd just, uh, just put him away. 
uh, with a bullet header. And then was uh, Dave Latchford and Bob Latchford. Bob Latchford went to Everton. Uh, Jim Elliott, the former Scottish goalkeeper, um, he played uh, with Birmingham. I played with him a, a fair few times. Yeah, no, it was a very, very strong, um, one of the largest clubs in the UK. Obviously, it's the second largest city in in the UK. Um, so for yourself, uh, do you look back on it now and, and see how challenging that period of time was? Because you're, you're still practically a teenager turning into a young man, but you're pretty much fast-tracked into a professional life where... You know, uh, what you do out in the pitch or the training pitch means whether you continue on with the club and and how you earn your money. Yeah. Well, once again, when you look at, uh, and I've just been casting my mind back in, 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 in different pitches that we've got before us here, and you, you look at the when I was on the training ground at Preston, uh, as, a, as a 15-year-old, um, and my nephew now is 15 and has just started a little job at, at Bunnings, and, and I'd left home yeah. into digs at, at 15 so you 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 you're just a kid you're just a kid and you're still still young um so just prior to getting released from Birmingham uh, um, we played Warsaw a number of times because it was uh, in the Midlands area yeah and uh, uh, one of the assistant coaches there said to me if you ever if you ever leave uh, just give me a call straight away we'd like you to come to Warsaw um um, and as I say, when I got released, I did I did speak to Walsall. Um, um, but once again, back back in those days, um, finances were pretty pretty tough. Walsall, as a club, was in a, a bit of financial difficulty, and uh, they could only offer initially while they were getting a new board of directors a three month contract. Um, he said, "Look, that'll be a formality, but until the directors are." Uh, Changed. Yeah. Uh, can't we can't extend that? Uh, and I was only what eighteen at the time, uh, and, I, and I suppose it's that sliding doors moment, because at that time that's when Dave, my friend Dave Allison, got a free transfer from from Blackpool, and that's when Jim Kelly came on the scene. Probably my mum at that stage wasn't very very happy at all. <laughs> it was bad enough being ninety minutes away at Birmingham. And seeing me once a month, uh, than considering going overseas. <laughs> uh, but once again, you, as a, as you're still you're still very young. Yeah. And uh, there was probably nobody. My, my mother and father would would not interfere, but there was nobody probably in my ear to say, "Look, you can always go overseas. You might as well go to Warsaw for three months. If it doesn't work out, yeah. you can always go overseas." Uh, but there wasn't, and. Uh, and with the the invitation to to join David, um, whether it be South Africa, North America, or Australia, um, was when I want to say tempting. I just didn't want to burden anybody. Yeah. I thought, gee, if I go up to Warsaw and break a leg, where will I be? Mm. Yeah, and and therefore the fourteen month contract to to Australia with return airfares and guaranteed job is a bit more secure. Well, secure financially, as I say, back then I was being offered three times what I was being offered as a professional in my first year at Birmingham. Well, as a, a former economics uh, graduate at the, at the Uni of Wollongong, it, it does intrigue me and I don't want to get into personal areas, but 
can you compare as a professional footballer when you turn professional at, at Birmingham compared to what I guess the average worker was earning? Uh, were you earning twice as much as a professional footballer than than what your your mates were who were doing normal jobs? Yeah, yeah. I could probably only relate to the, as a, as an apprentice yep. um, because professional when you turn professional and your probably first contract is a standard contract right. and and then. Uh, as you progress in more first team games, they'll readjust your contract. But as apprentices, uh, apprentices were paid eight pounds. Yeah. So if you look back in 1968, the uh, the an apprentice electrician plumber uh, would be on about three. Right. Wow. <laughs> it's not. We talk about eight pounds now, sixteen dollars <laughs> or twenty dollars, but. Uh, but then, Still a but all, all your outgoings in terms of your board and everything was paid by, by the club. By the club, so you basically could, you could bank five pounds and spend three pounds. And talk us through uh, as a young young man um, having how did the conversation arrive about being given a free transfer? Are you called into the manager's office or? Uh, assistant yeah. manager or coach how does that come about and and what can you recall of that conversation uh, oh well you, you really called into uh, a manager's um, office um, it's the end of the season you're you're rather going to get re-signed again if you're on it because predominantly them they were one-year contracts when you okay. turn pro so they don't go You've got four years, and then we'll give you. So it's a one-year contract. So each year, you might your contract's got to be renewed or, or, or enhanced. Um, as I say, we had a change of managers and a change of structure, and it was it came out the blue. Really, I, I wasn't really expecting it, um, and they just said, "Look, access to our needs uh, on the way we're going to go forward. Um, we're going to provide you with a, um, a a release, free transfer." So naturally, you would have been disappointed, as as we all would. But did it hit you harder than you thought it would? I I think the disappointment is you you you've got to get on the phone and tell your parents. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and for yourself, um, people. Today, don't understand that there wasn't as much technology and whatnot, so um, you didn't have a manager. So when you talk about Walsall yeah. um, and and creating other opportunities, you had to do that off your own bat, didn't you? Oh, look, you're you're on your own. Um, as I say, you you your people, uh, uh, you don't think you're going to be a superstar, but everyone else thinks you are. Like you know, <laughs> I mean, as you appreciate, your parents think, uh, or your, your your son's playing for Birmingham City. Um, so, but you know, but it, it's it is disappointing, um, and it's probably uh, when we talk about life in general, you've got to come back from these things. Yeah, um, you can't expect to just go through life without any any jolts, so to speak. So that was a, a shock, but more more a disappointment to tell your family. And when you then were were talking with David Allison, uh, you know, former school mm. school friend and friend generally, uh, was there a one on one conversation with Jim Kelly? Did you go and meet him, or or had it was it just over the phone? No, no, no. He um, he made the trip down from Blackpool, um, yeah. 
as I say, I, I was probably almost, not even considering going overseas, I was just really probably going to go to Warsaw. Yeah. Um, and then David, um, he was obviously in communication with me, and he, he, he said, look, um, I've got a free, um, this chap called Jim Kelly, he used to play for Blackpool, uh, he's been talking to me about possibilities of playing overseas, he's coming down to see me next week, uh, you're going to be in Manchester, um, you want to catch up? Yeah. So I said, oh yeah, because it's then yeah. the season had finished, so you've, you've got, well, I obviously have the time then to work out what I was going to do. Um, yeah, so he came down and uh, you know, actually at, at my place, uh, or my mum's place, and uh, and he said, look, uh, I played in Australia, played with South Coast United, uh, he played in the 60, I think 68 um, grand, fi- uh, grand final, yeah, yeah. 60, where it was. Yep. Um, uh, the big sellout at the cricket ground and the people on the South Coast are really good. Um, however, he said, I can get you, you can play for Durban City or Cape Town, uh, or we've got the North American leagues just started, I can get you in North America. Uh, and Dave, you know, oh, yeah, that sounds good, like, you know. Anyway, I mean, I did speak to my parents, and they weren't very keen on South Africa at the time, because there's lots of issues in South yep. Africa. North America, well, it was really, because you think of North America, baseball, and you, know, yeah. you didn't think about football. It's come a long way since then. And Australia, because he'd already been there, and he said, look, it's a great country. In Australia, England, you think, oh, it's very similar. Um, um, I can, they, but they really want you to go now, right. you know, which was, which was possibly, if I, you know, once again, we go back to what we spoke about before, yep. maybe if, if, what probably Jim should have said, look, go to Warsaw for three months, then we'll fly you out. Uh, yeah, but... It wasn't. It was a question of look. We you need to go now if you're going to because South Coast United want fresh blood. Um, it's midway through the season. There's some games left. We want to get you out there, so we're prepared to give you a 14th month contract. Yep. We'll give you return airfares. We'll give you a signing on fee as soon as you get there. We'll pay you for a job you don't you won't have to do for a few weeks till we find you a job. Uh, you get match payments to you know so on and so on. So it. The financial side of it was was was, was 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 once again, uh, I didn't have to rely on anybody, um, and therefore it was was you know a, a great option. Um, so uh, obviously, uh, you know, you you left the country. Uh, so roughly, what year was this? Uh, it would have been uh, what seventy two, seventy two. So, what are your your first memories of uh, coming into the coming into the country and and of uh, seeing the the south coast? Well, I remember we flew with Lufthansa, and uh, so my first memory of that was that um, we stopped in Kuala Lumpur first of all. Uh, it was very hot. Uh, sat in the plane, uh, took off from there. Did uh, arrive in Sydney about six in the morning as most most flights. Uh, the airport was closed. The plane was detoured or veered to <laughs> Melbourne. We were mustered off that plane, put in a holding room, um, got back on that, and then we flew to Sydney. Got to Sydney probably about lunchtime, um, and uh, there to meet was, was Travis Birch um, in his big Pontiacs, as he used to have then. He used to have the big American <laughs> cars, you know, this big American Pontiac. So uh, we drove down to Wollongong. 
and stopped at the top of Bulleye Tops and yeah. looked looked down. So that was the first impression of of um, of Australia and Wollongong, which was was very impressive. Uh, I, I thought there'd be kangaroos bouncing around the place and and all sorts. And that was Saturday afternoon. Well, the, the next day the, we, we played Marconi. Wow. Um, so what, what month was this, uh, roughly? June. Okay, so yeah. there it's sort of halfway through or just a bit after in the season. That's so right. you get there on the Saturday jet-lagged. That's <laughs> right. And, and come and Sunday. Played, played, played Marconi at Marconi Oval, and uh, we drew. We drew with Marconi. Uh, it was uh, being marked by Harry Williams, who played for Australia at the yeah. time. And he took me out a couple of times. But I, I turned up. Uh, Mr. Fashion at that stage, um, my mate Jerry Walker, I'll tell you the story. Um, so I had this suit, which was blue. It was a blue, like, velvety-type suit nice. uh, with with yellow across the top. So at uh, about that stage, we had Golden Fleece service stations. So I think they called me the Golden Fleece Man. Um, for the, for the, uh, I think the suit lasted about three weeks. I got ribbed too much about it. What is it like, this just rapid transition into a new club new set of players new manager it was a bit of a whirlwind or because you were a professional um you just took it in your stride yeah well you're young it's exciting um and you know really super fit because you just come off a season you really hadn't lost anything um, and we you know i always sort of kept pretty fit but you the difference the difference between players that are training twice or three times a week compared to going through a full pre-season um, you, you, you seem to be able to just go up and down the pitch effortless you know and that subsides over the years of yeah, course yeah. as you just do two nights a week or three nights a week and so uh, who who was the manager at the time at South Coast United oh Les Scheinflug and, and, and what were your first thoughts of Les well I I like Les. I got on well with Les. Uh, Les, Les, Les's famous words were always: "You come in at half time and you go too much Coca-Cola football, too much fizz, too much fizz. And <laughs> slow, slow down, slow down." In his, in his German German accent, that's not very German, but um, but uh, as I say, Les, 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 you know, he had a good, good, uh, good uh, soccer mind. You know. And what about some of your teammates? What were your first impressions of them? Or a couple of them. Uh, we we had a pretty reasonable side at that, that stage. Because um, there was blokes like like you spoke about, uh, you know, Jim Gleeson. There was Jerry Walker. Obviously, you had Drew Dunlop, um, Gary Tuckerman, uh, Alan Thompson, um, and, well, and guys you, like that. Well, you look at um, that team. Drew Dunlop. Um, once again, we I used to play on the right hand side. Uh, and Drew would be on the left-hand side. He had a magnificent left foot. So uh, I'd find him from right to left, <laughs> and he would find me from left to right, and we can we could change the player. Pe- people like Gary Tuckerman was so fast. Yep. So Gary Tuckerman could sell himself in a tackle, miss it, and then get back and recover wow. very easily. Um, the big Jim Gleeson, big centre-half, the Irishman, um, great, great bloke. Um, uh, you know, obviously Peter came along a bit, bit uh, later on uh, when uh, probably a year or so later uh, at the likes of Alan Thompson um, you know John Bingham So uh, for yourself you, you just you'd been a professional in England uh, at the top level so 
you know, without um, going into disparaging any, but what was it like? It's hard to compare apples and oranges, but what was the standard of football like in the Federation when you came over? Uh, well, it's a lot weaker, yep. um, but there are a lot of players that have come up from overseas as well. So just like myself, um, had made that transition, whether it be two years earlier, three years, four years, five years. Um, plenty with Some with plenty of experience have, have been there and done that more than myself. Um, but I think it's just basically gets down to you're not full-time. Yep. You're part-time. It's a part-time profession. You're not as fit. Um, and the quality, uh, and then also the pitches. You know, you're not playing on true pitches. You, you, you you're trying to cross a ball and the, the, the bobbling. Uh, some of the pitches uh, you play at Auburn, for instance, where the cricket pitch was in the middle of it, and it's bone hard. Uh, so that was the that was the hard to 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 take because some of the pitches you you, know, you go you go to Wentworth Park, and you'd walk out and the crowd's about seventy meters from where, where the pitches are. You know. Um, Not a great atmosphere. No, no. And, and what about um, South Coast United's ground? Um, crowds back then in the 60s, early 70s were, were a lot larger than, than what we've oh. received in the last 30 or 40 years. So what do you recall of the old Bulls paddock? Yeah, well, Bulls paddock was a favourite. You know, I mean, that uh, that pitch on that beautiful bull-eye black soil yeah. um, was, was well, well, everybody loved to play at Bulls paddock. And because you had all the seating close to it and you'd come out the dressing sheds, which is where McDonald's is today, yeah. where it used to be the pub, uh, you'd walk down there and the, you know, we'd, we'd be getting crowds of four, four and a half thousand. And especially if you played at night, yeah. it was a beautiful atmosphere at night. Uh, you play against the likes of Yugal, Yugal Prague and Croatia and you'd, you'd be taking, you know, having a throw in and be oh, yeah, Frank, get out of <laughs> uh, So you have the crowd in the background and it was it was all, it was it was great. The atmosphere was fantastic, you know, there was a, especially evening football. So there, there's a point there that um, uh, you're playing there at South Coast United, you're enjoying yourself. Uh, uh, away from the pitch, did you, did they get you that job and... And, and and what was that? Yeah, well, that's right. So after about <laughs> after about eight weeks, they said, "Look, we'll, we'll, you know, we 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 want you to start working somewhere." <laughs> and uh, I said, "Oh, yeah, fair enough. Where are we going to start?" So they said, "Look, we can we can start you in the club because um, the the soccer club yep. uh, was one of the sponsors across from the from from Bulls Paddock there." Um, so I started there uh, as a full time uh, barman, Salomon. Uh, basically there was another chap there called Swanee yeah. uh, he's still around today um, he was the other chap was full time and then we had the Salomon and the bloke called Sid Spiller was the uh, secretary manager of the club at that stage so uh, the good thing was I was able to um, to train and play of course because yeah. they, they sponsored it so I'd start uh, in the mornings at 10 um, and I'd leave at uh, 4 to get a training at four or five o'clock to get a training or is it four no, sometimes you come in at four for your shift that's right four for your shift and then leave at six to go and train and then come <laughs> back in the afternoons but the things we think about that the, 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 we had some good times at the soccer club um and there was one time uh, nothing nothing soccer related but it was uh, i think new year's eve yep. and swanee was on the day shift and i was on the afternoon shift and uh uh, I've got there and we, we've run out of beer. He hadn't <laughs> changed the kegs. 
<laughs> so I was changing about eight, a bank of eight kegs, um, about seven or eight o'clock at night. There was no beer in the club, so it was a, that was a funny night, funny night. <laughs> uh, apart from uh, the work bit, were, yeah. were you enjoying the area? Um, oh, I loved it. And, and, yeah. and Australia generally? Yeah, no, I, lo- I loved the area. I loved the people. Uh, everyone was very uh, welcoming. Um, I, uh, uh, funny story there, because it was then, so it came in the June, it was late July. Now, late July, as you know, it's winter, yeah. but for uh, a, a fresh pommy coming out from overseas, it, it, we had about six weeks of sunshine. And I, I remember going over to Coromel through the sand hills there, and I, I laid down between the sand hills, not realising you can get sunburnt. So I've turned up in the afternoon at the at the soccer club, and I was bright red. I was burning. <laughs> I was burning. The old blokes there said, the best thing for you, my son, is to get yourself into a shower and get tomatoes and get the acid from the tomatoes yeah. all over you. So I always remember that. I was, I was like a Belisha beacon. Uh, <laughs> So the you come in um, there and and then coming at the end of seventy two uh, at South Coast United there I think at a macro level there was economic problems in Australia generally um, so and that started to affect soccer clubs and so South Coast United changed their name to Safeway United hmm. um, which was which yeah. was one of the sponsors the Yard and and received backing from them yeah. so at that point in time. Uh, were you contemplating maybe going back uh, to the UK or or, or were, were you assured that, no, things are okay, it's just a change of name or did you have thoughts in your mind? No, no, I'll probably just probably wind back just a touch from that because um, from the, the soccer club, a couple of the um, the part-time casual staff, there was a chap called Kenny Barker yep. and he said to me, look, Rob, uh, yeah, you're wasting your time in the bars, really. You should come and sell cars. Yeah. You know? And a chap called John Elliott yeah. um, used to be actually the, the treasurer of South Coast United earlier. And uh, John was the accountant initially of, uh, of uh, Harrigan's, yeah. Harrigan Ford, which was in Crown Lane at the time. And the Harrigan family um, sold Harrigan Ford uh, to, to John just as they were moving to Coral Street in, in 72. Yeah. Um, and um, so Ken had organised for me to meet with John as a, to start as a trainee. And so I always remember that little meeting I had with, with John at the time, and he said, look, uh, you, know, you know, you played with South Coast United, we're looking for a trainee salesman. And I said to John, look, I've got three sisters, my mother and father, I've come up for 14 months. I just, as much as I'd love to work and do do this, I can't just give football away just for a job and John said to me at that stage he said look as long as you work for me and you work hard you'll always be able to go into training and you'll always go and play football nice and I worked for John for 18 years wow and um, I always was able to go and play football and I had a couple of good colleagues that worked around me so I was very fortunate in that respect I never got a wage increase in 18 years by you um (laughs) But it really looked after me. So then we go forward to the um, Safeway scenario is yep. because I'd started work at Harrigan's. Yeah. And the way I saw it at that stage was I can't play football forever. Yep. Uh, so I need, I need, I need the skills. responsibility yep. of, of doing something. And 
I like people, so I could communicate with people, and I, I enjoy selling cars as a trainee. And um, so when it came to um, uh, extending my contract uh, with with Trevor's, uh, it was you know probably a formality. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the country, I enjoyed the people, I enjoyed where I was working, and they were prepared to offer me a four year contract uh, at that stage. Um, uh, I don't mind probably saying at that stage. So we're talking what seventy, seventy two, seventy two, seventy three, where I was offered two thousand dollars a year just to wow. sign for four years. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah, well it was, and um, so I was happy. I was more than happy to sign a four year contract, and I went overseas back 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 to uh, back to the UK for a holiday. Yeah, and uh, as you well know, I came back. Um, to a, a name change after Safeway. But we talk about Safeway for a moment because yeah. Safeway, because uh, it was 73, 74, was leading into the World Cup. Okay. So um, so Safeway uh, and Bill Driver uh, was obviously the, the man behind the Safeway group. Uh, he had uh, Peter Wilson and Adrian uh, w- working for him. Okay. Um, they, they both got um, valiant charges with the Safeway logos on the cars. So we, we, we um, in the, the Safeway United setup then, we we had Peter Wilson, we had Adrian Olsen, we had Max Max Tolson, yeah. all all went to the 74 World Cup, the likes of Danny McKinnon. Um, so we had a really, really strong side. Um, but I, once again, I was a little bit naive when I first came out because I thought, come out for 14 months, I might be able to play for Australia, go back to England, play in the schoolboy side, be picked up again. Then I realised you can't play for Australia, you've got to be in the country for three years. Yeah, yeah that wasn't going to be a case. <laughs> but there was an, um, uh, just on the uh, the car yards uh, and the rivalry there, even though it might have been yeah. just friendly, there wasn't an issue you working where you worked and, and Safeway then backing. No, 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 no. no. And talking- I think probably initially... Um, no, not really. No, no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't mind. And so that '73 season, um, you were playing in new colours, and I think it was predominantly yellow. Yeah, yellow with a bit of red trimming, red <laughs> badging, yeah, embroidery. And so you had Jim Harris um, uh, yeah. first. So, yeah. so what was was Jim like as a coach? Well, Jimmy was, you know, predominantly when I say predominantly a Scotsman, you know. Um, and he and he had a very good professional career in football. Yeah. So he he had his yeah, his own set ideas, probably a, the olden day ideas um, to a degree. But he, he always wanted to play for Jim. You know, he was trustworthy. He was honest. He'd tell you what he thought. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, no, Jimmy was a good bloke. And obviously, at some point in time during that season, um, he was moved on. Um, and, and Peter Wilson uh, took over as player coach. Yeah. So, um, you know, Peter's, uh, uh, you know, stays away from publicity in, in the last couple of decades. So yep. I won't be able to ever interview him. So can you give me an no. insight about him as a player and as a coach? Yeah, yeah. Well, Peter, um, yeah, as you well know, um, he, he keeps to himself. Uh, he's a very private individual. And I know I was uh, very fortunate to... To uh, when we we'll talk about um, West a bit further yeah. down in the interview, but uh, be able to play with Peter 
uh, up in Sydney for a couple of years. So we spent a lot of time together. So Peter, when he when he came to communication to on on a one on one and in a uh, a team environment, it was very very good. Uh, players would respect him yep. because of his stature, but uh, he could also deliver uh, week in week out on the park. So you were always 100% behind Peter. And what about the rest of uh, that year? Because you you pretty much had, like you said, a good team. Um, and although the results might not have been as spectacular as, as, as the club and, and yourselves wanted, did, did you still think you went okay yourself as a player? Oh, yeah, I think. Well, uh, you, you look at the likes of Adrian Alston, for instance. I mean, Noddy was a great character. Yep. He was always... Uh, he's always there with a laugh and a joke, um, but he could back it up as well in, with his with his skills. Um, Mac, Maxie Tolson, he was just a really hard centre forward. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, probably a little lazy at times. I'll say Max. Um, <laughs> he always wanted to defeat if it wasn't there, or he, he wouldn't be a very happy man. Um, but uh, a very very strong side. Yeah, we didn't get the results. I think the season being fragmented. Uh, being broken up for the uh, for the World Cup yeah. um, certainly disrupted. So that did, did disrupt and ah, the I, season. Ah, I, I think it just totally disrupted our season, um, um, and I think you'll, we'll find that in the English Premier League. Yeah. Um, which teams will will bounce back uh, after the World Cup? Uh, is there a sense of um, uh, being a teammate and, and seeing some of your your fellow colleagues make the national team? Was there a sense of pride about that? Do you recall uh, amongst fellow teammates in the club and, and the supporters? Oh yeah, I think yeah, when we saw Adrian, um, I think he scored in the in the in Germany. Um, you're all proud of uh, colleagues that are out there representing the country. Um, and when we'll come back to Phil O'Connor a bit further on as well, yeah. who played uh, um, for Australia, a good mate of mine. But uh, no, no, the Australian team in. In '74, uh, we were all very proud of. And and for yourself, um, like I said, '70 '73 season, um, then you stayed with Safeway uh, as you had that sort of four-year deal uh, that you spoke about. So yeah. you know, there's there's a couple other players there that sort of came in. Um, uh, apart from some of those other players like uh, Stonehouse and and Piggott and McGrody and and. Um, Garrett Roberts that came in and Brian Dodd. Um, yeah. uh, what about some of the opposition players and and um, blokes that you can sort of recall being marked by and whatnot that sort of um, spring to mind that you had difficulty with? Well, as I say, probably the hardest moment was probably Harry, Harry yeah. Williams, because um, um, he was super fit and uh, he, he was tough. Um, uh, predominantly for me, it was always the, the people you play with yeah. Um, we 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 touched on yeah. Gary Tuckerman and and John Bigham and even when I say even uh, one of, one of the best players to probably play football over here was was Willie McGrody. Yeah, tell us a bit uh, more about him. Well, he was he was such a skillful individual. Yeah, he looked like Harpo Marx with his, with his blonde hair, but he was he was an excellent player. John Bingham, his left foot, uh, Alan young Alan Thompson. Uh, we we had so many good players. Um, back in that those, those days, and then as you say, you touch on Alan Piggott and, uh, and Steve Hesford. Like Steve Hesford is a goalkeeper. 
he was a tower. He was he was yeah. a character. He was he was as broad as tall um, in in the goals. And he had hands like the size of watermelons. You know, <laughs> uh, really really good player. Um, uh, lots of lots of great individuals at that time. For yourself, uh, I guess you're uh, integrating yourself into the community. You know, whether it be via your work, friendships. And, and and the football itself. So uh, at that point in time, this you're just enjoying it and, and thought, nah, for the short to medium term, I'm here, I'm going to play football and, and, and enjoy myself? Yeah, no, I was, I was obviously very happy, very settled. Um, uh, I, was, I was, as you say, I started at Harrigan's and I was forging a, a career there, um, well supported by the owners. Uh, I was enjoying my football, um, you know. Uh, you can ask for anything, anything more. We, got, we had great weather, uh, <laughs> better than the Manchester weather, of course. <laughs> at the end of the '74 season, there was obviously uh, uh, problems at Safeway United, um, and they are having some financial issues. Can you talk a bit about, um, uh, without going into too much detail, and, and we're here to be positive, but yeah. you, you're in Hong Kong on holidays with David Allison and. And and then, what sort of transpired in your holidays, and then when you returned? Yeah. Well, it was it was quite amazing actually, because I, I I'd flown to the UK, and and David had, um, had since moved out of Australia to play in Hong Kong, so I made arrangements to fly via Hong Kong on the way back and spend some time with David, and there's, there's a fair a fair few of the players actually had played for South Coast United had, had since transited to Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and the football over there was quite strong, and they had their own uh, local Hong Kong newspaper. Uh, so I arrived, I was only there a couple of days, and then David goes, look at the paper. And the front page of the Soccer uh, Weekly was Safeway, Safeway gone bust. And I'd just signed a four-year contract. Um, so I was uh, sort of a little bit in shock, uh, heading back to, to, um, to Australia to find out what, what, uh, what my position was which was quite surprising. So it's just uh, one of those uh, weird things in life that, you know, Hong Kong media then, then have something about an Australian soccer club and oh. and then you're reading about it on a holiday. Yeah, oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? You, don't, you wouldn't think you'd have a, a safe way on the front page of uh, any, any newspaper in, in a different country, but there it was. Um, so heading back to... Uh, <laughs> To uh, find out what the head, what was going on with, with with Trevor's Birch, yeah, well, it was quite messy. But uh, ultimately, what ha- what transpired was uh, Safeway merged with Balgani, and it became Balgani in that '75 season. And then, um, you know, you started the the season off like a few others, uh, uh, playing for Balgani and coached by Herb Williams. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you say, I got back unfortunately probably two weeks after it had been announced. The um, 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 uh, liquidation, should we say, of, of, mm. of Safeway. So I was two weeks behind the eight ball when I arrived back. Um, and some of the players at, at that stage had already been released uh, from the contracts, yep. which was what, what my expectation was. But unfortunately, probably 24 hours after landing, uh, I, I found my transfer, my registration was transferred to Balgani. And I wasn't given a free lease to go and join uh, uh, Peter because uh, Peter went to Western Suburbs with Les Scheinflug. And um, uh, I spoke to Les and uh, uh, I thought I was going to be on the way to Western Suburbs 
than finding that my registration had been transferred to to Balgowny. So I wasn't wasn't terribly happy about that at the stage. And so, uh, like people do in life, they uh, continue on, and and you know, I guess uh, some people might say that um, you weren't treated. Uh, you weren't treated nicely under the letter of the law, but you still adhered to your contract, played for Bowgowney that year. Um, so what was Herb Williams like uh, as a coach? He was a player coach as well. And, yeah. and and what was that season like in 75 where you sort of, I guess your mindset would be frustration, some, some oh. anger. So did you just put that to one side and play football? Oh, once once we had resolved, because as I said, the registration was transferred, so I had to either sign a contract or be transferred. Yep. Um, so I, I, I signed a, a contract, which I was uh, rel- relatively happy with. Um, but Herbie Williams was probably be... Uh, I played under Les, Sean Flogan, Jimmy Harris, um, Mike Johnson, uh, even Peter. But Herbie was probably instrumental. He was a very, very good player coach. They played in the UK... He had an aura about him. You'd yep. sit and listen to him. He'd structure training sessions, uh, work on, you know, free kicks and corners, and um, not not regimented, but certainly a lot of discipline about the way we went our business. So that year um, uh, was a, a reasonable season again, um, but you know there was some some players there, and and I'd like you to, even though. Um, uh, unfortunately, he's passed. But Phil O'Connor, um, oh, yeah. can you can you talk about him? Because he, from what I read and what I've been told by others, he was certainly a talent. Oh, look, Phil had a great left foot. Um, um, since he arrived in the country, you could see he was super talented um, uh, and uh, destined to probably play New South Wales in Australia, which he did. Um, very good friend. He was a very good friend of... Um, Kevin Perkins, who's a great friend of mine, and, he's, uh, and it, as we know, unfortunately, um, Phil passed away actually the day after one of our uh, grand final appearances, very sadly. Um, uh, yeah, but a great player. And other players that um, and local players that then came into um, the federation sort of fold from the local area. What do you remember of, say, you know, Larry Gaffney and and and, and Peter Beggs? Yeah, that well, sort that, of came well, in. well, they're two standouts. Uh, yep. Peter Beggs, um, and well, you know, really good friend as well. Peter went on and played with St George uh, for a number of years uh, and did extremely well. Uh, Larry Gaffney, well, Larry was one of the best players in the country at one stage. Um, just an excellent player on the ball. Very tough, good distribution. Um, as I say, a Dewey Tinney. Very experienced at the back, very cool, very composed, uh, good communicator. Uh, Daryl Glover in goals, yeah. um, and Daryl did uh, extremely well. Um, then you were backed up by hard-working people like Steve Langford, Steve Davis, um, Alan Thompson we've mentioned before, um, all contributed to, to uh, what was a very consistent team. And even though we'll talk about it in the 80s and 90s where you... Um, went on to play and then coach but do you think that that um those sort of 60s and 70s where people like yourself um came into the country sort of added value at football value in the sense of uh, people came to watch you uh, inspired people 
to a certain extent and, and sort of make the game a lot better? Well, you'd like to think so. Um, I'm sure people have got their own opinions about that, but I, I suppose at that stage there was more play, more players prior to when I came out, probably for about, uh, obviously in the 60s, yeah. that had come out from the UK. Um, uh, certainly have added contribution to, to, to the code. As we know, Australia is just a very sports-minded country with so many different sports, and soccer's probably way down there when it comes to the amount of um, support it gets um, from you know the media. So the end of uh, '75, going into the '76 season, you uh, firstly signed um, with Western Suburbs, who were being coached by Archie Blues. So yep. uh, what brought about that change? Well, uh, I think I think initially prior to Archie taking over, we had, it was Les was up there, um, and Peter was still playing at, at West, and they approached again about me going there, um, and uh, eventually I did because <laughs> I was sold um, to uh, to to West from Balgowney uh, at that stage for for about four grand. Wow. Um, which I was a bit disappointed about because I went to them for nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but that's that's the way it went. And, and, and as we well know, the Bosnage rule came in a few years later, yeah. which stopped that. You signed a contract yeah. and you were free. And that's the way it all came about. Because until then, payers signed contracts. Contracts expired, but clubs still held onto the registrations and wouldn't release the registrations unless they got paid a fee. Um, so anyway, it's changed. It's changed for the better in terms of contracts. And, and you played um, some games off the bench at Western Suburbs, but then sort of midway through came back to, to Wollongong City. So uh, what happened there? Well, that was very unfortunate. I played in, I played in Western Australia uh, in, in pre-season. Then we came back really excited. We had another pre-season game at Cromer Park at Manly. Yep. And uh, it wasn't it, the, the pitch was... They were mowing the pitch by hand before we started. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, and as a result, I, I pushed the ball past two players, and my foot got caught in a pothole, and I, I ruptured, I ruptured my uh, knee, and tore a cartilage, uh, and uh, so I, I was basically out. Uh, it was very fortunate to to see. Um, uh, Brian Corrigan, who was yeah. uh, Peter organised that. He was the physiotherapist for the Australian team, and now I got referred to Mervyn Cross, who was a, a surgeon for the. He w- he was the surgeon yeah, of the day. Yeah. He was he he, he was Prolonged the one. Period. Yeah, well, he went. He, he he pioneered the arthroscope, so he was going to America and coming back and, and and performed an arthroscope on my knee. Um, so I was out for most, but probably about four or five months, and that's why I came back. Um, mid, midway, midway through that season to uh, to play, yeah. So there, yeah, I guess seventy six is a bit of a write off, and then um, coming back to to seventy seven, you yeah. had time with Wollongong City. You then um, were transferred to Western Suburbs, and and part of uh, you're starting um, in the inaugural Phillips National Soccer League. Yeah. Um, and so, who was the coach then that, that got you across to, to Western Suburbs? Um, well, I think, as I say, initially Les was there, then Archie, and I think Les was, Les was back there again. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, the opportunity to play um, Phillips National League uh, and play with Peter 
uh, again and it was too too good an opportunity to miss and you must be proud uh, like a, a couple of hundred players that did play in that initial year because it you know it was a, a culmination of uh, sort of planning and 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 a, you know a real I guess uh, key moment for Australian football that we got this National League. Well, that's right. I mean, Phillips Phillips were the national sponsor. Um, Channel 10 uh, were the TV uh, coverage. Um, uh, Remember, during that year, we had... um, ANSET was still around, and ANSET had gone on strike, and ANSET was the... uh, basically the sponsors of uh, uh, travel between games. And uh, one funny story, we were due to play in Melbourne... And the strike was still on, but ours was the televised game. So we were told, on, you know, you're going. We're, <laughs> we're, we're chartering planes. So we turned up at um, Sydney Airport. Now, we turned up in the morning, we, we, and there was a uh, like a 10-seater plane and a 5-seater plane. But the strike had finished the night before. So we thought, oh, well, we'll, we'll go on a normal commercial flight. But they've gone, oh, no, we've already paid for these these, these planes. <laughs> so we, we set off, and I was with Peter Wilson and um, uh, the pilot and two others. So it was four of us in the small one and the rest <laughs> of the squad. And when we, 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 when we arrived, when we arrived in Melbourne, you could not see for cloud. And we were bounced around like a, 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 and Peter... And if Peter's listening, he'll remember this. He is going. This is this is not going to happen. Uh, anyway, we 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 finished, landed safely. Um, but Peter, uh, after the game, uh, called a players meeting, and said, "Right, okay, we're not going back on those planes." And uh, we we said, we all voted. We ain't going back on those planes. <laughs> so the planes went back empty, and um, they put us back on a commercial flight um, so it was a it was a very funny day that one we did win the game we did win that game as well so what are you, some of your memories of of uh, that inaugural uh, NSL season do you, does yeah. some of those some games come back to you about how you played or who you played yeah, against yeah well probably probably the, one of the highlights of that season we were, we were going extremely well I think we were in second position at the time in playing Adelaide City and um uh, and, and the crowd there, as I think that they was, the numbers were about eleven and a half thousand. Wow! Yeah. So, and that was another televised game. So that was a uh, the atmosphere. Was in Adelaide, was I it? was in Adelaide. Yeah. So you had the two. They had the two Adelaide s- yeah. sides in the Phillips National Adelaide C- City and in West Adelaide. And West Adelaide it was Adelaide City. We played, and uh, yeah. So that was uh, quite an atmosphere. Um, I think uh, they were. I think third position, so it was second best third at times. So it was very, very good. And how had um, you know your football evolved at that point? Because, like you said, you you came to Australia as a professional, then become semi-professional. You know, you're working yeah. at Harrigan and 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 doing that stuff in between football. So had your football dropped off a bit, or now that you were in this NSL sort of format, your training had increased. Well, yeah, it, it became difficult. Oh, well, like everything else, you've got a full-time job and full-time responsibilities, um, and you're playing part-time football, even though we're trying to make it as professional as we could yeah. at the stage with the Phillips National League. Fortunately, with uh, with Harrigans, I was able to still support me. So I used to pick um, Peter up at four o'clock, and we'd drive to Sydney, 
um, twice a week and train and play. And then we'd train together at least once a week. That, that, Just by like, ourselves. Yeah, the club allow us to do the, the third training oh. session um, most most weeks by ourselves. Uh, but once again, as I say, uh, John and Harrigan's fully fully supported and they never once pulled me to one side and said, look, you know, you need to work. Enough's enough. Uh, yeah. But it became difficult uh, because you got to juggle things around. Some games were on the Saturday, they got postponed and... You had to play on the Sunday. Sunday. So I had a, some very good colleagues. and One was Don Waller. God bless him, he's passed away now. And uh, Don would um, always, if I had to play on the Sunday, he'd, he'd, he'd work the Sunday. If I had to play on the Saturday, he'd work the Saturday. And he was a good man. For yourself, um, where did uh, Western Suburbs play their home matches and, and what was that like? We played, uh, and uh, I remember pre-season, we played at Tremoyne Oval. Um, uh, which is obviously the, the the rugby play there now. Um, and it, obviously, it was it's the round pitch, and and they used to play cricket in the. <laughs> um, but it, it, it had a little bit of atmosphere down there. Yeah. And training, we used to run around the, around the oval and behind the river, and um, yeah, finished up uh, virtually living up there, probably about two miles from the training ground for, <laughs> for a number of years. What what brought about the move in '78 to to go back to to state league with Arpia, who were being coached by Mike Johnson? Well, what trans, transpired there was that uh, West virtually once again were in financial difficulties. The club, right. the club itself, and then there was an amalgamation with with Arpia because once again costs. Um, uh, so the West, the Western Suburbs club itself was in difficulty. Yep, and I think they struggled then to fund the football. And then the, the, that's where the amalgamation came away. So they stepped back from the National League to, to state football. And uh, contracts just automatically transferred. Uh, well, it was an amalgamation of two. Yeah. So it was, became West Arpia as a, uh, as a club um, with, with Mike Johnson as, uh, as a coach. And Arpia, look, even today with Lambert Park, yep. uh, they had a very professional setup, um, some very devoted. Individuals that you know your your, your kit would be set up for set up. you. Um, uh, Lambert Park is a uh, you know it's floodlit pitch. It was look, it was it was a, a, a good period, um, a time. And what was Mike Johnson like? Because in his Wollongong Macedonia days, um, I've had other people on the podcast speak about him and that he's unorthodox and and um, brought a lot of energy. To the to the coaching role, so, so yeah. how did you find him? He was um, he was when we say ahead of his times. Um, look, he, he you couldn't fault his enthusiasm for for the game. All right, I think you respect anyone at his work ethic. Um, I think Mike was in life insurance, and that's that was his job. But uh, his coaching, he was his life. But he was at. Uh, a little bit of ahead of his times for for us. Uh, I, I remember uh, at half time we've gone in, and he said to everybody, "Lie on the floor and put your legs on the bench. Close your eyes." <laughs> and we all looked at each other. Um, so there's certain things that he that he that I mean. There's probably nothing wrong with his philosophy. Um, yeah. It was probably probably wasted on 
semi-professional people. I think if you've got full-time people that buy into the psychological side of the game. Um, uh, so it, it, it eventually, unfortunately, he lost he lost the the dressing shed. That's always a difficult time, uh, I guess. Like you said, um, you know, ahead of his time, uh, when you've got things like that where people might not be ready for it, I, I guess it's it's possibly the norm in the last 10, 15 years of the mind and 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 that as a semi or professional sports person. Yeah. Oh, look, you can't you can't knock uh, Mike for his the the way he went about um, his, his as I say his work ethic, the amount of time and effort he put into his training sessions. Uh, probably the amount of time he spent with the the younger players one on one, just it's like it's like anything in, in as you see in professional football today with um, um, with Gerard being sacked from Villa and yeah. uh, these are all good coaches but football football's ruthless yeah, yeah. if you if if <laughs> if, if, you, if you're not getting results you uh, you ain't got a job. So, uh, a former teammate in Danny McKinnon came in. Um, how was the rest of the year with Danny? Yeah, well, Danny, as I say, played with him with uh, Safeway, and, uh, and and Danny, with Danny, was a very talented uh, individual, uh, very calming, um, lightly spoken, but uh, very clear in his instruction. He was a good midfield player, so he'd he'd, he'd set the team up well. And at the end of that year, 78, going into 79, was it a, a matter of you that you just didn't want to travel up to Sydney anymore? You're, you're working full time and that you wanted to just take a step back from the intensity of your football? Yeah, no. well, I got a couple of injuries and I, I, I damaged my ankle um, uh, with a chip bone right. that, that, that put me out for a, for a few weeks. Um and it's always for with uh, I mean, all players and all sportsmen get very frustrated when the when they're injured. But once again, I was very fortunate to be able to get physio in time from work to keep get physio to get you back on the park. But uh, for the period of time there, and and as we mentioned early on, uh, there's more responsibilities with work and and family. Yep. Um, and it came to the conclusion that the amount of travelling, um, you know, I'd have to probably commit more to the to the uh, the full-time job rather than the, the part-time. So how did it come about that uh, Coniston Football Club, who were in the Illawarra Premier League at the time, yeah. um, made you an offer to, to be their player coach? Yeah, well, uh, once again, I, I'd watch a few um, local games, but um, I, I got a phone call from uh, Colin Brown. Yep. Um, and um, and Kenny Kenny Buckley at the time. Kenny was the president. Uh, Cole was a secretary. Both really really good chaps. Um, and they said, look, uh, would you consider uh, a role as a as a player coach in the Premier League? Yep. And it probably came out that about the, the right time. Really, um, I've been travelling up down to Sydney for a while. Uh, I've got a job. Uh, uh, you know, how long can really your employer uh, allow you to be? Leaving at four in the afternoon, which is the busiest time, and colleagues as well, and colleagues and family. So uh, I, I think, but I, uh, once again, I had a contract, and uh, yeah, uh, to, to um, and the, <laughs> they weren't about to just release me, but the, <laughs> uh, so I, I had to buy my contract out. But obviously, I was repaid with the with the, with the contract I signed with with Coniston. 
Yeah, I guess um, although uh, Australia has given you a lot, I guess at times there in the 70s, the some of these football clubs had, uh, I guess, put a bit of a handbrake on you uh, with these transfers. Yeah, well, <laughs> as, as you say, back then, you, you know, once again, you, you you never you were never free. Once you'd signed, you were registered and uh, uh, they took advantage of that, um, but not now. But yeah, so... Uh, Kenny and Cole, um, they had a they had a vision. Um, yeah. uh, they got sponsors. We had Wollongong Leagues. Uh, we're, we're prepared to put some dollars and cents into it. And, and I think a year later we got um, Cliffy Guide with um, Cam. Uh, he was with Cam Trans. Yep. Um, um, he also uh, they provided some funds. So we set about obviously getting getting the right players um, into into the club. And at that time, you're still playing at McKinnon Park um, there on Gladstone Avenue. Yeah. Uh, were you playing in a predominantly white with red trimmings? Yeah, as a strip? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there's a couple of photos over there. Yeah, yeah it was white. Yeah, it was, that was a, it's an ordinary buddy outside field with some ropes around. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, there were a good bunch of um, the lads. Um, I didn't know uh, many of them at the time or any of them at the time. Um, we start with pre-season. I think they were in for a little bit of a... Bit of a shock when it come to pre-season. So had you, um, obviously at that time, you'd obviously contemplated their offer, uh, play a coach, but, you know, this is your first time at, at coaching a team and a club. So yep. did you have set ideas? Uh, obviously you'd had some great influences from your time in the UK and in Australia. So did you come in with sort of a set way that you wanted to play or did you sort of adjust uh, depending on the players you had? No, I, I I came in with the idea of number one having a, a team that was number one fit, yep. okay, and uh, uh, with a structure where we have a backbone. So we looked looked at our goalkeeper, our centre half, a, a centre of midfield, and a striker. That was that was the the first vision, and then build around that. Um, uh, some players are very skillful, but they're not fit. And they think the skill will get them through, but it won't. It might get them through the first 20 minutes, but it won't get them <laughs> through 90 minutes. Uh, and I was very fortunate. I think we signed uh, uh, Jerry Walker, who's, who's um, the, the, the godfather of my, of my kids, uh, Renee and Trent. Um, and Jerry was, uh, he'd come back from playing um, um, in the Phillips League with Brisbane. Yeah. He played with Brisbane in, in the, the first couple of years. And I played with... Uh, he he arrived at South Coast United probably a couple of years before I did. Okay. We became very good friends and still friends today after 40-odd... Well, you know, 47 years, maybe 50 years um, uh, with with Jerry. Uh, yeah, so it was about, about trying to bring a professional level if you can, if you can get that. I didn't want players that... Some clubs had players that... Halfway through the year, they'd disappear for three weeks to go down the snow. Um, what a commitment. Uh, I, I was probably then a bit naive to think, well, you, you, this is what you need to be. But fortunately, we got players that that were prepared to train hard and and uh, and not go down the snow, so to speak. And that, that period of, of time for, for the club, uh, 79 through to 83, was... Uh, when you reflect back on it now and, and look at the results, um, highly successful, um, and even you know moving then from McKinnon to JJ Kelly uh, in the latter part of that yeah. that period as well. So, uh, do you look back at that and think uh, 
you're very proud of, of what you and the committee achieved at that time? Well, I was just the, looking through some of the things we've discussed earlier and um, we talk about Colin Brown and Ken Buckley. And we, we, we talk about players too. But the, yeah. There are a couple of people that I'd, I'd, I'd mentioned that time because J.J. Kelly Park was came about because of Laurie Kelly. Yep. And Laurie Kelly was uh, uh, a member for Cornwall from 1968 to 88 yep. and Speaker of the House. Now, without Laurie getting involved, J.J. Kelly Park wouldn't have even come about. I think it's named after him, actually, J.J. Kelly Park. Um, but the likes of... Uh, Cole Brown, Kenny Buckley, uh, a couple of other people, that, that bricklayers, plumbers, electricians that came about to build that. In-kind donations. Yeah, you know, and the fencing and the trees and everything around that. Um, it, it is what it is today, even though it's changed hands and different yeah. clubs play there today. But there's a couple of people at, at Cono at the time, a chap called Lex McLean, who, who passed away many, many years ago, and his wife, Cathy, they, they really put a lot of time and effort into into the club, it, um, Lexi was. Um, I used to call him FA Cup because he, <laughs> he, he had he had big ears. And I used to and <laughs> I used to say to Lexi, "Don't go out there and you don't go outside." Lexi, you go why, mate? The wind's got up. He'll take you <laughs> over. Joking to him, he was a sensational bloke, Lex. And there's another chap called Bruxy, who was a strapper, a big Bruxy, and he was yeah. big for a number of reasons we won't go into. But uh, oh, Bruxy from. Uh, but they were good seasons at Connor, very good seasons. And uh, um, yeah, uh, Kenny Buckley at BHP. Uh, we won't go into the old BHP days and <laughs> what BHP could do for people. Uh, the eighty, um, if we can talk about uh, eighty one. Uh, obviously, um, you made the grand final, and uh, and that year was uh, the club uh, Coniston. Uh, your team finished second behind Shell Harbour in the league, and. And then um, uh, played on, played off in the the grand final. So, can you talk a bit about that grand final? Because it was a wonderful uh, day for yourself and the club. And and what do you recall of it? It was well playing any grand final. The lead up to that is fantastic. Uh, the game itself, what we, we were only talking about this the other day, was probably one of the boring games for <laughs> spectators. It was just a very ordinary game of football which we we eventually came out on top and 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 but you know rest is history isn't it really yeah. uh but the likes of uh uh Charlock and walker and uh, uh dixon vinton you know brian dodd like brian dodd was like like thor the blonde the blonde muscly young chap um yeah. good player uh, um kevin perkins and um Jerry Molasic, um, they're all uh, all good players at the time. And what and what uh, in terms of some of those players, um, uh, what was uh, what was Stephen Quirk like as as a, a young attacking player? Well, Stephen Quirk was just this little nugget of a player with calf muscles the size of um, uh, watermelons too, um, but he trained extremely hard. I worked very hard for the team. Uh, good target, even though he was only short. Good target man, and he was a good finisher. Uh, trained extremely hard. Once again, it was one of the ingredients for success. Uh, you look at uh, when I look at the players, uh, the likes of Dodd and Vandervoy and Vinton and Matthias and Lassick, um, 
uh, Fleming, yeah, they all they all appeared to train hard, and they were always there on a Tuesday and Thursday. There wasn't just you know eight people or ten people. It was you know the full squad, the full squad each each Tuesday and Thursday night. You know, uh, always. And did you? Um, because I've spoken to a couple of players, and you know Ron Vandervoort comes to mind yeah. where. He said that, um, you know, off the field, socially, it was fantastic to be at the club. So was that deliberate on your part to make sure that, yeah, you trained hard and you tried to win and be competitive, but, you know, to have a good time as well, which then comes back onto the pitch in a positive way? Yeah. Well, I think I think if you, if, if, if you combine um, friendship... Uh, uh, and at certain times, you've got people who are married, you've got people who are engaged, you've got people with girlfriends, you've got kids, and you've got committee. Uh, I think, it, and then you've got sponsors. And I think there's a responsibility. There's always, there should be a responsibility for the coaches and players to support the club. Yep. It can't be always a one-way street, and it apparently seems to be a bit that way at the moment. So I was very, very adamant at the time that we always go back to to the club and in those early years we'd even in fact go back to when we were playing away would go to the away side yep. and your sponsor would your sponsors would appreciate that because you know those early years it used to be reciprocated yep. so if you were playing Coralmore you'd go back to Coralmore leagues and if Coralmore were playing you they'd come back to Wollongong leagues and yep. you'd all as teams and clubs, you'd have a couple of beers and you talk about the game. Camaraderie. Camaraderie. Yeah. Um, I mean, even before I got involved in district football, I always remember being invited um, to go on an end-of-season trip to the Gold Coast with with Bulleye. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, 20 players going up to Bulleye and I was invited. And I, I, I really enjoyed that, that end-of-season sort of... And from that... When I came back to um, to the local um, uh, Premier League or local football, uh, that's what I tried to do. So each year we'd we'd organise a end of season trip, whether it was to Newcastle or play, and we'd play a couple of games okay. in Newcastle, Adamstown. We played up there. Um, we'd go to the, the Gold Coast and we played a couple of uh, Gold Coast teams occasionally, and then, and then that subsided to just the races on a Saturday. But you you take your fifteen and sixteen players, and we'd raise we'd raise funds um, throughout the year, to... um, um, and and at later stages uh, with with um, with a couple of the clubs, I'd negotiate sponsorship in relation to part of that going to um, uh, to the players, and in return the players would have to support the sponsors. In your Coniston days, I, I remember you telling me that. There was a Bampton Cup fixture you gave some, some young blokes a go. So can you tell us a bit more about um, the age of the players and who the players were and, and what happened? Well, there was, there was, there was two extremely talented players. Um, uh, one was Phil Matthias, who today's son plays in the local league as a goalkeeper. And the other one was a young chap, uh, Anthony Wellburn. And Anthony was um, 15. Uh, very, very talented, super talented young yeah. young boy. Only not much of him actually. Uh, and I played Anthony and Philip uh, in the Bampton uh, Cup final um, at the age of fifteen. People questioned wow. that, but he, he he had the 
even though he was only slightly built, he had the strength, but he had the ability and the vision, and he was always going to be a really talented player. Um, so to me, it was a, 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 when I say a pleasure, just to see someone with that sort of skill, that age, having a contribution in a, in a major final. The end of 83, you, you'd made the decision to uh, to move on and 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 Aris, who, who are now known as Wollongong Olympic, the, the, the Greek club, um, how did the the proposition of coaching them come up and, and what do you recall of that? I think, sadly, some of the committee um, at Coniston had changed. Um, uh, without being unkind financially, uh, I think what the, they'd lost sponsors. Um, um, Aris approached me at a time where as I say, it was just opportune. Yep. Um, uh, they were uh, obviously in a lower division. Yeah. Um, there was a challenge there. Um, and uh, so I spoke to, at that stage, um, I think it was um, Bill Bundes and, and Jim Dimas. Yep. Uh, Jim had his service stations there at Mittagong, and Bill was a builder. Um, but very genuine individuals, very passionate. Yeah. Um and uh, once again, they offered me a, a, a contract to transform the, the club without interference, and the rest was history. So do you, um, uh, because there is a, a pattern about that, and we'll, we'll talk about uh, yeah. Wollongong Serbia, but uh, do you think, um, you know, you still enjoyed playing, you obviously enjoyed coaching, but uh, do you think that you sort of gravitated towards mentally having these challenges where you could take a club like Coniston um, with the help of the committees obviously to to a better place and, and make you know their ground the atmosphere and the results better do you think you gravitated towards that now that you reflect on it reflecting on it I, I, I certainly gravitated to the challenge yeah. um, there, there was no doubt I always gravitated to the financial rewards and what I could offer players yeah. Um um, but also being able to contribute. Um, yeah. It's not, not just take, you know, it's give and take, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I was very fortunate to to be involved in, in clubs that had very good committees that were very, very um, generous in their time and genuine. You know. uh, coming back, um, and although I didn't ask the question, I apologise, but uh, what were your thoughts of the Illawarra Premier League? When, when you first came back, you, you know, you'd been in the NSL and State League and Federation. So uh, there was a sprinkling of players like yourself and John Bingham and, and many others that came from Federation. So was it still a relatively strong league? Um, for district football? For, for district football, it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> probably a comparison early on when I was with... Um, when I first came back to play for South Coast United, we we, we, we played the district. Yep. And I suppose then when you when I look back and we used to sort of look down on the district mm. football because we played him in the friendly match and we okay. won we won eight nil at Balls Paddock. Uh, so you, you you'd say that's the district at that stage used to say, Oh, there's not much difference between state <laughs> football, but there was. Yeah. Um, um, and simply because obviously they were they were paid well and yep. um, and probably a bit more professional, and then you come down to the part, very part-time yeah. um, district football. So there were some good players, but once again, it was just the grounds and the pitches were a bit substandard, really. And for yourself, was was that a um, 
what was it like going back to that second tier, which I think was called the first division then? You know, you've yeah. gone from the Illawarra Premier League and now with Aris trying to get up from first division. So so what was that like? You talk about grounds, but was it harder for you to recruit players and, and, and take them away from Premier League clubs so you could challenge for silverware? Yeah, well, once again, I was very fortunate that, that I was well supported by, by players um, uh, without uh, ripping apart the club I previously coached, of course, it's it's difficult. But if players would like to follow you, and you can give yeah. them give them uh, different challenges, and that that was always the case. But it was always once again about building the the club. And the the longer I coached in the Illawarra, you knew what players you you needed. The ones that job. would always give you a hundred percent and do a job. An honest job, um, so I was I was fortunate. Some players would 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 follow. Eighty uh, four uh, with Aris, uh, it was a it was a great season or a good very good season. Um, can you talk about you know some of those players that you know you had Mick Cootie, you had Jake Weller, you had Theo Kalamanides, um, you know Chris Agnew, Claude Cooter, Jeremy Lassick, obviously. So. Uh, what was that season like uh, in '84? Well, it was a, it was a good season. It was a good season. You look at you look at those players you just mentioned, the the Cooter brothers. We still speak to the Cooter brothers today. The young Joe Kalea at the time, he was about sixteen. Yeah, and he was probably one of the most talented players in the Illawarra. Um, uh, John Gooding, very honest, hardworking centre forward. Theo uh, as a goalkeeper, one of the best goalkeepers uh, Illawarra's produced. Um, Frank De Mercis, um he played um, at the high, highest level at one stage. Yeah. Um, Billy Cott and Peter Cott. Um, Peter wasn't there obviously at that age, but it came came to be one of the better players in the Illawarra. Peter Cott. Um, Chris Agnew. Uh, Chris and Chris went on to be the president of of Aris, yeah. and he was probably like the bulldog, <laughs> really. Um, he probably wouldn't mind me saying, like you know, he was he uh, what he lacked in skill, he made up for with a with a massive heart Tenacity, and yeah. uh, and a good chap. Manuel Diva was a reserve keeper at times. Jerry Molasic, a good fullback, honest, went on to uh, uh, make a great career from in. Uh, uh, he went to Canberra, uh, Win TV, great journalist. Um, and Dave Fleming at fullback, uh, once again, very hard individual. So we had some really good players in in that team that got got promoted. Yeah, and that one, like you came second, um, made some grand finals, and all, obviously, you know, um, the objective was to get promoted, and you did. So was that satisfying from a personal perspective? Although many people contributed towards it, that. You set out a goal and you achieved it in the first year. Yeah. Oh no, no, I'm more than pleased. But you can't do it without yeah. the support of uh, your players in the committee. It's a, it is a team effort. Um, but yeah, it's very, very satisfying. Uh, going into the '85 season, I guess having those years with Coniston, um, you knew what you were, the league that you were going into, that you were promoted into. You knew what you had to do to be successful. So. For you, having those previous years at Coniston made it a bit easier for a transition from First Division to Premier League? Yeah, yeah. well, certainly you've been there. Um, 
uh, I think G George Naylor was at that stage making uh, changes um, and, and brought once again a little bit more of a professional approach to the competition where he, uh, I think at that stage would, the, the transition was to each Premier League club to have their own ground. Yeah, because in 84, where did you play? With Aris, um, um, we finished actually playing at JJ Kelly Park. Um, okay. We were playing um, on the main field or on the outside. No, field? on the main yep. on the main field. Yep. So the, we we done an, had an agreement with um, with Coniston yep. um, to to lease it on a bi weekly uh, basis. It was kind of them, um, but yeah. So I think jo I mean George Naylor's contribution to Illawarra football um, was, was second to none. Yeah, uh, and, and Mavis, well supported by Mavis, <laughs> and his and his sons, of course. So, uh, eighty five, um, uh, still a a very good season in a lot of ways. But um, you know, uh, talk us through some of the other blokes that you got. Like you, you got back Stephen Quirk from Wollongong United, uh, uh, Mario German, yeah. um, Kevin Perkins, obviously, and and uh, Mark Vinton, uh, those sort of guys who followed you across. So. Uh, wasn't too bad a season at all, was it? Not at all. And you look at some of these players, like Ian Bradburn. He was uh, yeah. a, a real terror in um, in midfield. Morrow German, um, excellent, excellent player. His his brother Bruno playing with me for a, a little while as well. Um, uh, Perko, we know Albert Price uh, came at the back, and um, but Mark Vinton was probably the unlucky one because Mark actually dislocated his shoulder yep. on a. Uh, probably two or three occasions uh, and uh, it really affected uh, his um, his game in the end uh, we've spoke about John Gooden before and Craig Thompson came came about uh, so certainly we, we had a good a good season and a good squad of, of players that blended together that once again that were prepared to work hard um, in training uh, on and off the park as well and second place um it must have been pretty, uh, pretty satisfying to your you promoted team, and then yeah. into second place in the league after yeah. home and away season. Well, I think when you look at the players we were able to um, bring to the club that year, uh, we started getting nicknamed the Silver Tails. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it was a question of you know, you know Robert Fry's um, just buying the buying 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 players. Uh, but the top uh, clubs do that, so. Well, you know, the way I look at it is, is you, 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 number one, you've got to, you've got to fund it. Yep. So you've got to get out there and you've got to get dollars and cents. So you, you've got to get a committee that's, uh, or you're, you're working with a committee that's yep. um, out there on the hustlings, um, and get sponsors. Uh, and if you've got that money, then you're able to try and entice players, um, uh, and, and you're painting a picture. The pit, the yep. picture simply was that. We want to be as professional as we can, yep. uh, on and off the park, uh, and you, you're rewarded. I mean, it, it, we're not talking. We weren't talking making making dollars. <laughs> you know, not what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, you know, but but it was it was good spending money, um, for for doing two days two nights a week, enjoying football on a on a Saturday, and uh, and having some camaraderie. It was a tough. Tough final series. Um, initially, you, you lost to Bulleye, then 
drew with Cringilla, um, defeated them in the replay, and then uh, went on to defeat Bulleye in the grand final. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that final series and the grand final, what you recall? Uh, well, it's all a bit of a blur, um, even even now, uh, because uh, back then when we did play Cringilla and we drew, and then I think I was on the, I played on the bench um, against Cringilla. I think we played at Balgowney, night yep. game. Uh, and it was probably all square. I came on the last 20 minutes and we got a penalty. And uh, I think I miskicked it and uh, sent the keeper the wrong way. Uh, that's, that's how the story goes. Uh, so we fortunately, we, we went on to the grand final. We were underdogs because Bulleye, yeah, once Norm again... Yeah, Norm team would yeah. have been the league champions. Yeah, well, Norm, Norm, Norm had put together... Um, you know, Bulleye have always been uh, a strong... Uh, club yep. and uh, you've always had an abundance of players out the northern suburbs that uh, wanted to play and and uh, Norm had spent a lot of years at Fig Tree and he, he had a good strong following and you know they'd won the league so it was, we were always going to be a very up against it against um, his side yeah so what are you you win the game um, uh, being a Greek background it must have been a huge huge honor for for the club and and your coach player committee to to do it for the community oh the, the, I mean uh, the the Greek community um, uh, and I was with them last week and we can touch on that a bit later on but I mean they, they were always like family um, and and this is once again I go back to when I first went to Aris in the Atlantic Club. Yep. So the Atlantic Club used to be that uh, just a service station, um, where it is today. Yeah. And we'd play um, at home at JJ Kelly Park, um, and come back to that garage where, with families and wives and girlfriends and kids, uh, and the the wives um, together with a couple of the other committee men. Uh, they'd have the steak sandwiches and the tomatoes chopped up and the lettuces and and, and we'd stand around and they'd have some eskies with soft drinks and beers and, and but there'd be 30, 40, 50 people there wow. every home game going back there um, and, and it, 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 that was what it was all about it was about family so they might call it silver tales but there was a lot of building of community and friendships there oh. as well I mean, it was tremendous. I mean, even today, I mean, people talk about the Atlantic Club as it was. Um, it was certainly special times. In 86, um, Bulleye again were, were uh, I guess, streets ahead of everyone else in 86 and, and went through undefeated as league champions and, and also uh, I think they had the most goals scored for and against. Yeah. But, you know, you still were there and thereabouts. So... Um, Finishing fourth and and being super competitive, uh, you know, takes effort, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Look, uh, once again, it, you can't. I mean, I say this: so you look at the Premier League. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. You can't. It, it, it's that's the reality. You can, as long as everyone puts a hundred percent in. Yeah. Uh, you can't. You can't ask any more. Um, uh, we, we we talk about uh, just briefly on 85 when we won the grand final and then Aris, uh, well, Wollongong Olympic as they're now known, were in the grand final last last Sunday. Yeah. And uh, uh, so 37 years, 37 years. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy to see it here 
and go 37 years ago, 37 years ago, we won the grand final. And I was, um, you know, I got a, a phone call from uh, Greg, Greg Hartis, yep. the president, and, um, uh, and Matthew Bailey and himself, I was touched by the fact that they asked me to go down and, um, and spend two minutes with the players with Peter Cott. Uh, before uh, nice. as they got changed it was very nice and we, we, we just spoke very briefly about 80, 85 and what it means to the club and, uh, and congratulations to Matthew and Greg um, 37 yeah, years later we, we've now got the grand final for the winners as, for the second time and I know that um, I watched the stream of the game. I was up in Sydney uh, at a Champions of Champions game with my son uh, yeah. and came back and, and watched it that afternoon. And um, knowing that had the interview with you coming up and yeah. and then uh, I think uh, the, the gentleman uh, uh, who was commentating on the game in the stream, uh, you know, spoke about 37 years. And, you know, it's nice to hear that the club remembered you and... And, oh. and and what you guys achieved all that time ago? Yeah, well, credit to them. I mean, the once again, you, you talk about those sponsors. Um, you know, uh, there was a pre-dinner uh, get together of the Greek supporters yep. um, at a uh, um, uh, a bar there in uh, Crown Lane now, uh, and there would have been two hundred people <laughs> in there having lunch. And uh, pre-lunch, uh, and they had a board there with at least fifteen sponsors, from panel beaters to fruit shops to, <laughs> and, and then people go, oh, people have got money, but these are these are these are Greek people that are prepared to, they just love football, yeah, and they want to support their team. I've been uh, on a committee for 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 a long time now, and uh, never begrudge uh, another club for. Working hard, volunteering their time, and and putting sponsors together because it's hard work, and oh. and you you set yourself goals, and and they achieved it. So yeah. I, I think credit to them. Yeah, I know that's a fantastic effort. So the the end of '86, uh, what happened there in the sense that you then moved to to Port Kembla for the '87 yeah. season. So for, for me, it was a, a it looked a bit weird that the sense that. You'd had some good seasons, getting them promoted, and then, and then being highly competitive. So, did you need another challenge? Well, it, it came about my contract was due to expire, and um, I've always at that stage I, I don't like working on just one year contracts. I, yep. I, I believe if you, especially if you're going to build a club, you, you can't yep. just do it in one year. Uh, and so, I always had the philosophy that you know, when I signed a contract, it was always two years. So yeah. if you want me, it's it's two years, uh, and I think unfortunately at that stage within the committee there was, um, uh, as I say, there was a sense it's probably coming from one direction that, that no, we only will only give you one year. Right. Uh, so that was the sticking point, and as it was, um, uh, you know, Port Kembla uh, came knocking on the door at that stage, um, um, and. Uh, I reluctantly at that stage moved on. And so going from uh, a Greek club, you, you went to an Italian club. So so what were your thoughts on, 
on Paul Kemper as a club and 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 well, they, what they, they brought to you in in the eighty seven. Well, season. Paul Kemmler were obviously a, a, a forward thinking club as well. They were sponsored by Paul Kemmler Leagues at the stage uh, prior to the demise of Paul Kemmler Leagues, of course. Um, they had a, a good ground set up, um, a good committee. Um, uh, you know, some of the, the cooters had gone out there, and um, some of the other players uh, uh, that I'd known, um, and some players that followed me uh, across at the time. And we, there's one player there, Vito, yeah. which we know about. Uh, we had that world championship boxing bout. <laughs> uh, uh, he wasn't the most skillful soccer player. But he was prepared to give you 120% on the park, you know. Yeah, I was going so. to ask you about him because obviously synonymous in the area with boxing, but, yeah. but has some football roots, soccer roots. So, yeah, is that yeah. what he was like as yeah. a Oh, yeah. Look, he, 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 he probably preferred to be a top professional football player than a <laughs> top uh, boxer, of which he was a top boxer, as we know. And we all followed him as he, as he had his bouts for, in the UK. Um, but he was down to earth and he, he just wanted to give you 100% in training and, and match days. You could never fault that. He was a really good man. Um, uh, you look at some of the other players that played at the time, as I say, Phil Matthias came across. Mario Parossa. Yeah. Mario Parossa to this day is, is, is my plumber. So right. he has actually plumbed uh, about four different places I've lived in. <laughs> um, I, think he's, I think he overcharges me, don't you, Mario? But... Uh, <laughs> Nevertheless, he, he's only a phone call away. Um, but yeah, look, I, I enjoyed my time at Port Kembler, but uh, I, I, I always used to look for the results of the, the, uh, the Aris um, yeah. team because uh, I was with them for such a long time. It was probably a part of the family. Um, so it was, it was sad to see them sort of slipping down the table mm. as they did. Um, and as a result of that, uh, um, there was some changes within the committee at, at um, Olympic, and there were some discussions. and And Paul Kemmler were kind enough to um, to release me from a second year of my contract with them. Um, and I think that year, that year, the first year at Port, we we got the grand final in each each team. Right, each team. First grade, second grade, and um, and youth team, and lost every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so our celebrations were a bit subdued, but uh, it was a great effort to get. Yeah, it's it's one of those funny ones. How, I guess you coming from the UK, how do you, how do you see it with Australian football or soccer, where it's not just the league champions that there's this second mini season? Do you just take that as another challenge, or are you old fashioned in the sense you just prefer a league champion? Well, probably go back thirty years. You think it was a bit strange this first four, uh, four one one year because it is different. Um, but yeah. then, then you then you see what's happening in uh, the championship in the UK yeah. uh, and how successful it's been. Uh, where you just get the top team gets promoted and the other four teams play yeah. it out, and the crowds. Uh, so, so really, they've they've taken what's happening overseas to the UK. Um, uh, in the end, you just get used to that sort of. Set up and it becomes like a sort of like the FA Cup, really, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? You know, you always want to win the grand final, but the grand final is really the FA Cup of the UK. Yeah. You get there, you want to win it. It's a special, yeah, that special day. So uh, back to Aris. So was it sort of like uh, slipping back into 
sort of a, a nice relationship that you have with someone where you you know the surroundings you know and you know what you've got to do yeah. um, to get out of the first division so back to back to work yeah back to the work and that's the we, uh, we, you touch on a couple of the people that really worked very hard over those those years I was there uh, Helen and Paul Mahanis, uh, as well as Jim Mahanis, Andrew Vassalou, yeah. um, uh, Nick Bexham. Now, Nick Bexham, um, he would be at the ground training Tuesdays and Thursday nights. He'd be mowing the ground. He'd be marking the ground. I mean, for years and years and years, he, he was just totally devoted to to the to the Aris and Wollongong Olympic Football Club. Just a truly, truly great man. Um, and then Spiro and Andrula, uh, Spiro, um, I mean, their contribution. Uh, when it comes down to, and we, we speak about, uh, shortly about um, Brandon Park. So do you, um, even though it could be a question for the end, but I'll ask it now, do you feel proud that you've got these great friendships with uh, committee people, and, and other volunteers at these different clubs, in particular Aris, that still stand to this day? Because it, it says something about um, the effort that you guys put into a, a community asset, such yeah, as a football oh, club. I think so. I think if you, um, you know, as you say, it's, it's 37 years, 40 years, and there, there are people that you see out there, It's a, you, you can have a conversation. Um, um, it, it only seems like, Two years ago or five years ago, um, but you know it's thirty-seven and forty years. You know, I only saw Paul Mahanis in the crowd last Saturday, and uh, all these different people, all these different individuals. Um, yeah, it's football. It crosses so many boundaries. Yeah, it does. Well, we spoke about um, politics before uh, about Laurie Kelly, and he was a state parliamentarian, but. In, in 88, in your working life, you, you crossed paths with Stephen Martin, um, a Labor politician down here for a, for a period of time. Can you tell tell the listener about um, what happened when you first met him and then what, yeah, what trans- happened after what, that? What transpired, that's right. So, I mean, once again, the George Nair, his, his, his vision was Premier League, 12 teams, their own, their own grounds. grounds. He was on the bandwagon with Wollongong Council and trying to work and... With, with different politicians um, uh, down here. Uh, as I say, I was fortunate to cross paths with, with Stephen at Harrigan's when he was uh, purchasing a car for his, for his wife. Okay. Uh, so we, 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 during that period, we had some long conversations about the difficulty of getting land. Um, you know, we're a Greek club. Yep. Um, uh, what the vision was for the Premier League and we were sharing the ground but we've got to get a ground and that's how it kicked off it, it started and then he came back to us and said look we might be able to organise um, um, some land the 99 year lease some land at Brandon Park yeah. and the rest was history so we, we, we finished up getting a 99 year lease at Brandon Park and then the committee did everything did everything else. Um, so yeah, the likes of Spiro, Spiro, I mean, with his truck, uh, the amount of dirt he would have moved. Um, you know. Because it was a mammoth effort. To, oh. The facility there, um, to put it together in the time frame that they did, uh, su- super achievement. Well, Lane, I remember laying the turf with everyone. 
as as committee and players and uh, and part of the green community. Uh, the soil went down. I mean, how many um, truckloads of dirt that um, Spitter would have brought in, but the likes of, as I say, Paul and Jim and Andrew and the rest of the team and Nick and the players. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I mean, Arkell was the the um, the mayor at the time, um, and he, he he was the we did the planting of the trees, which all all along Brandon Park they were all seedlings when they went in. <laughs> so my daughter would have been three, that's yep. 40 years ago, um, planting the, all those trees along that side. Um, and the, the sheds, everything. It was done by by really community Greek help and, yeah, and, and supporters. And, and I always enjoyed um, playing there. It was part yeah. of the Brandon Park precinct. And yeah. I guess my only claim to fame there, I was more of a reserve grader and played some first grade, but yeah. I think I played a youth grade game there and... Uh, Against Wollongong Olympic and scored five goals oh, and won the right. club's top goal scoring well, year, but that, yeah, that's yeah, my well, only claim well, we, to fame we, there. We'll probably have to re-sign you now. <laughs> but uh, on the field, um, you know, you you continued to in '88 and '89 um, um, coach them. Uh, uh, the results, uh, I guess, in '89 weren't there. Uh, but what is it like sometimes when you get? Uh, I think it. I was looking through the players list, and in '89 in the Aris, you you had John Fleming, and and um, for a few games there along with him, you had John Bingham. So um, yeah, is that sort of uh, you knowing you know former professionals and and bringing them in, and what's it like when you've got to coach the guys that are you know successful coaches like yourself in your own right and professionals from uh, from yesteryear? Yeah, well. Um just prior to 89, that's just probably 88, there's a couple of players there that uh, that we brought along, like Tony Angelides was a goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, a really big boy. Neil Sutherland, it was next uh, uh, Fernhill, Coralmore. That's uh, right. Um, so it, it took, took took me two years to, to get Neil um, uh, over to us at that time. Stephen Baker, Greg Eager, young player, came, um, it took me two or three years to get... Um, um, him over Jeff Fellows as well. Yeah, uh, these are all players that came from other clubs, but uh, I've been speaking to them for a couple of years to try and get them to to come and join the club. Um, but as you say, you get to eighty nine, um, and like John, so I got on well with John and and and, and, and respected him. Uh, yeah. And John really just wanted to play football, <laughs> uh, like we all do, and he, he wasn't into. Uh, it was never a question of um, oh, look. I'll, do you want me to talk at half time? Do you want me to? Yep. You want you, do you want yeah? Do you want me my tuppence worth? Or John just wanted to play football. Um, he didn't want to coach. He just wanted to come along and play football together, and we, we'd have a chat. He was coaching at the time. Oh, yeah, he was. Cho- cho- he was very successful with Wollongong. So uh, it's, it's one yeah. of those things when you see it there on the paper, you think this is just cool that it can happen. Oh yeah, and, and, and we had a, we had a great time when we played at uh, Shalar as well. Um, he just really wanted to play <laughs> football, and we talk about the game, and we talk about different players, and we talk about different structures. But but really, it was about coming out. Having it getting changed, having a few yep. drinks afterwards, and he, he, he was great, great on the ball, knew the game, read it well. Uh, bingo was bingo. We had six games, as you well know. John had a very successful coaching career. Yeah. Um, 
we got on really well with the thing. And then you look at some of those players. I mean, Goran Trudeski. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was only speaking to Goran a few months ago. Uh, a great player. Troy Thompson, the young player, adapto player. Yeah. Uh, he came out with the likes of Daryl Waller. Daryl never really played first grade, did you, Daryl? Um, <laughs> but uh, we can talk about Daryl and the amount of work uh, and contribution to football on the South Coast because he's, he's done extremely well over the yeah. years. But um, Troy Thompson, uh, he was 18, 19, that, along with David Spencer. So they came they came out from, we got them from Lysart. Because yep. uh, once again, my work colleague, Don Waller, Daryl's was his son. Ah, uh, okay. And that was a tie-up. And so his son was at Lysard's with David and Troy. So I got them all over eventually from Lysard's to come and join uh, the different clubs. Um, but we, we, we once again had some st- strong players, enjoyed their football, wanted to train, um, yeah. Uh, for yourself, at this point in time, are you still playing or had you... Sort of no, no. Coming off the bench or... Oh, in 89? Yeah. I thought we met now, I'm going to say. <laughs> I'd love to, but I see the Nets, I want to play now. In 89, um, yeah, I was still playing, but, uh, you know, once again, uh, you know, I'm probably thinking I could do this, that and the other, but uh, probably coming off the bench. But yep. the Shell Arbor days, I'd, I'd gone back to right back. Right. So we'd have John Fleming playing sweeper. You know, I'd go at right back. We had a good, you know, distribution-wise, we can get the ball <laughs> to the back and play it out. We can do what they do in the Premier League today. Because um, Tony Markowski was in goals for, for Shell Harbour uh, and he was a very good goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, but no, no, I was still playing. I, I think I, I went, uh, you know, probably 95 I finished. Uh, probably from 90 onwards, I was probably coming off the bench. bench. And, oh, and uh, uh, as the players we used to say, I need 45 minutes to warm and stretch my hamstrings before I came on for five. <laughs> um and did you, um, uh, talking about that player-coach role, which is not as common as it used to be, how did you find it? Oh, no, I used to really enjoy it. I, um, I enjoyed the opportunity to bring players together um, and, and, and see a structure work. Um, but my philosophy, as I mentioned very early in the piece, was you had to be fit. In this league, in this league, it wasn't about you're not going to have the most skillful players, but if you're a fit team yep. um, and you're all working for one another, ultimately you'll get a result. But always, you're not going to always no. win, but ultimately you'll get a result if you're playing, playing for each other. Yeah, definitely. So you had another um, couple of years there like you said in 89 and then 90 you were still at uh, uh, Wollongong Olympic uh, well in 90 they changed their name from Aris to, to Wollongong Olympic yep. so um, uh, ending up fourth that year in 1990 behind some good teams like West Fig Tree, Fernhill and South Coast Croatia yep. um, uh, what do you recall about that period especially those West Fig Tree and South Coast Croatia teams because they were successful in that that yeah. latter 80s, early 90s period. Well, that's right. Well, we talked about Norm before when he coached Fig Tree for a, a number of years with Phil Carr. Um, they were always very, very strong. Um, then you got the Croatian, uh, South Coast Croatia. Um, and then, as I say, later on, obviously, White Eagles, um, the, the Serbian side. So it was always, it was always a, uh, 
emotional clash of um, of, of clubs. Um, but you know, you you talk about nineteen nineties. A couple of players that stand out like Dragon Popovac, um, a young midfield player that did extremely well. Mark Smith was a big centre heart, centre forward. Yeah, um, he had a good contribution. Um, but Peter Peter Cott started to uh, cut him rise. Um, it had come through the ranks by then. Um, Theo was still there. David Spencer had made his mark. Uh, once again, a very, very strong, solid bunch of players that worked for one another. Uh, that was always the key. And uh, although at the end of uh, uh, 1990 again, finished up with Wollongong after six seasons, do you look on it now as probably one of... Uh, uh, even though you enjoyed your time at all different clubs, do yeah. you look back on it a bit more fondly than than some of the other clubs in the sense of the challenges that yourself, the committee and the players and fans faced and, and what you'd built the club up to? Um, well, obviously I spent more years with the, with the, with the Greek community. Uh, I, when I look at each club that I, that I coached, uh, whether it be for one year or six um uh, it's still strong affiliation with with those. Yeah. I don't think I left any club on bad, bad terms, and uh, so there's always says it, a bit about you, doesn't it? Well, you'd hope so. Yeah. Um, but but each each and every club and each and every committee that 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 I work with, um, they're always supportive. I mean, you, you certainly at times there's going to be some friction. Yeah. I remember, I think one season there at um, at Aris, um, I think we were second from the from the bottom, and uh, uh, I think it, one committee person came up to me at that stage. I think we'd lost about four in a row, and said, "Look, would you would you consider if we had a, a team selection panel?" <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I politely answered that one. Um, uh, no, you can have your own panel, and you can sack me whatever you want to do, but uh, that that's not something that's going to happen. You know, and live and die by your own yeah decisions and sword. And as it turned out, we were, as I say, second from the bottom, and then we finished. I think that that particular year we did finish second. You know the players themselves. We knew we we just weren't playing well. Things and when things aren't going well, the rub of the green. Yeah. Nothing seems to work for you. You 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 concede a goal in the last three minutes of a game, and but as I say, the players responded and we came back and we finished in the semi-finals. You then went to um, in '91. Um, you went to Shell Harbour, mm. who were in the Illawarra Premier League. So, what brought about this change and, and and moving on to Shell Harbour? Well, once again, I think that that particular stage, then the, the, there was a changing of the committee at Olympic, um, and uh, so it's probably time for me to go. Uh, I mean, I'd. I'd Spent a number of years there. Yeah. They, 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 they probably, in fact, needed probably a fresh face. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a parting of the ways, um, uh, hugs and kisses, so to speak, <laughs> uh, with some. And uh, Otto Bader. Um, Otto, um, who was uh, the Shalabra, who he is Mr. Shalabra, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. Um, um, spoke to the, the committee out there and they were 
they were keen to offer me a basically a long-term contract. I think a couple of years off. I think it was the three originally. Um, and uh, so I went out there, and once again we we then set about um, moulding a, a team. But they had some good players. There's a picture here of um, Scotty Fowler and Phil Cook uh, back then. Um, I mean, Scotty Fowler today, he's, he, he does the, the electrical work from the places <laughs> I've lived. Um, uh, Phil Cook's not been not been well, God bless him. Um, um, and then you've got uh, our friend uh, Mr Bates, who was playing for Wollongong. And that's the only uh, uh, disappointment that Frank had, is that George Naylor got involved and didn't allow him to play. Um, he put a stop... He played, I think, about a few games, and then they put a stop because he was playing with uh, he was playing with John Fleming, Wollongong yeah. City. So it was disappointing because he, he every they were registering players outside, and uh, they stopped him playing in the second year, which was a bit disappointing. And uh, uh, for those that aren't from the area, and there's probably around twenty or thirty people that that listen around the country and a couple overseas, uh, tell us a bit about Otto Bader and and a couple of the other committee guys at Shell Harbour. Well, Otto was once again. He's just the the mainstay for Shalaba for years and years and years. And Phil Cook's father was another a strong committee man uh, out there. And they're once again a very family orientated committee. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to make inroads into getting them the, the old Shalaba ground. They weren't able to to get their own land to develop it. Uh, yeah. And still today, it's uh, you know uh, they've not been able to. So where did the they want to develop? Well, it's where they wanted to develop where they uh, at, at that at that at that next to the high school. Then. Next to the high school, yeah. um, unfortunately, they couldn't get permission because to have a Premier League ground, it, it, generally in the end, you had to have it with a perimeter around. Yeah, and um, and it, that became and they got got away with. Allowing them to play there for a, for a while, um, but you know it gets extremely difficult. You talked about um, Tony Markovsky. Uh, can you talk a bit more about him as a keeper, and well, and, and what made him a, a very very good keeper? Well, he was um, once again Tony was wasn't the tallest goalkeeper, but he was focused, um, always at training, um, a, a good personality. Good team person. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen him argue with anyone, um, uh, uh, but certainly read the game well from from behind. As I say, we had Tony, you had John Fleming, uh, you had uh, young Craig Mason in midfield, young Danny Togoski, uh, Wayne Barrett. Now yeah. Wayne Wayne's a very successful businessman today, um, very genuine um, player. Phil Cook, as we've spoke about, uh, Phil came. Uh, when I left and went to White Eagles, Phil came out there w- with us. Scotty Fowler um, um, and Tony Sigalowski, and, and then we had in Bradburn and Brad Fowler, Paul Keating. Now Paul Keating was a very strong individual. Barry Robinson. Now Barry, yeah. Barry, Barry was one of the hardest centre forwards um, in the uh, in the Illawarra. Um, and then you had the young Dari Petreski. Um, now Dari Dari was a Stocky, yep. stocky centre forward. He was only probably about 19, 18, 19 when I was out there. Had lots of ability. And he was just breaking through. And then uh, 
and then Vasco joined us as another goalkeeper. Um, so for you, when you're at these new clubs, um, are you always, from a coaching perspective, uh, when you're pre-season or on the training track, uh, sort of learning about what the club, the existing players, are you looking and going, well, they might have played here under the previous, if they tell me they've played fullback or something, I could try them in the midfield. Were you always looking to potentially utilise people in other positions? Uh, yeah, because yeah, once again, it's, it gets around to communication again. So you, you you talk to them. I mean, some players uh, are quite open and where they like to play. Yep. Some players just are happy to just get a game anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 I suppose it's when you're bringing players players you want into a club yeah. uh, then the players have got to work around that you know yeah. that if you're a right inside midfield player you might finish being right fullback you might be moved forward centre halves it can be centre forwards yeah um, we, we certainly have different players um, um, change positions um, Andrew Cliss was uh, another centre forward there um, but once again, we, we had some very talented players in the Shell Arbor squad. We were very lucky, though, at Shell Arbor. I thought, we, I thought some of the matches we played, um, we just didn't get the rub of the green. I, I think we deserved to probably be higher up than where, than where our positions virtually were in the end. Uh, you had a couple of years there of Shell Harbour, and then uh, in '93 you joined Wollongong Serbia, yep. who were in the... The first division, the second tier. Um, uh, once again, um, who, who came to to speak to you? Because I guess um, at that point in time, uh, your resume is quite clear and successful about changing clubs yeah. for the better and and being successful. So, um, how did that come about? Well, once again, approaches from uh, from from the from the um, from the committee at that stage. Um, I mean, I was based and living in. It's not, it's not as if the distance is... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm used to travelling to and from Sydney, so it wasn't a question of, oh, well, I've, I've got to travel to Shell Harbour. <laughs> but uh, uh, once again, um, uh, Wollongong White Eagles uh, approached me. They had a, a, a vision where they wanted to go. Um, uh, the opportunity was there. And I, once again, in terms of contracts, uh, you know, it, it seemed right at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of the squad, again, well, um, some of the players that were at Shell Harbour were prepared to to come to come across to uh, the Serbian. So John Fleming and Phil Cook and Wayne Barrett and Goran, <laughs> Scott, David Spencer, Barry Omerson came. Um, it was uh, a successful season that, that you then uh, uh, won promotion back to the Premier League. Yep. Um, uh, what's it like... Uh, uh, when you you crowned league champions, uh, uh, you'd been at different clubs where that had happened. Now at you know a, a Serbian club, uh, what was it like for for the club and and the fans and the players when you won league the league championship? Yeah, well, once again, celebrations galore, isn't it again? Um, but once again, I think teams and clubs that haven't had that success. I mean, it, it, it generally is. Just in awe, everyone's so so excited about the fact that we're promoted and the fact that we've actually um, um, won the league. Uh, we're playing at the um, uh, Police Boys Club Probably, there, yeah. um, um, sponsored by uh, you know we got North Bullongong Pub, um, which I organised in the second year. 
and once again we, we spoke about that and the, the, commi- the, the committee were pretty focused on um, and, and prepared to share part of that sponsorship yep. we got so as a, as a club the commitment as I said to the players that the, the club were prepared to put 25% of the sponsorship towards um, the social side of the, the club um, and as a result I, I said as a, as a squad it's not a question of going out drinking beers every night but we no. will we will go back for a lemonade, a water, whatever it may be, on a Thursday after training, and, uh, and that's that's my commitment. And if we don't, you know, and that's what we did. So we used to go there. North Bullingong, uh, that stage as a pub, used to be packed. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's probably still is today. I'm not. I don't frequent it as much today. <laughs> uh, with the university, uh, it used to be university night, and Chris Agnew used to get because uh, he used to be. Uh, his ex-father-in-law used to own raffles. So yeah. he used to get a massive big tray of fruit, yep. which we'd raffle off. Um, and the, all those funds would go to the uh, um, the social club. Um, yeah. And do you, um, when you look back at it, do you uh, uh, feel pretty satisfied that, that when you became a coach at a club, it seems to me, talking about it now, for a couple of hours, especially when you became a coach, that you really made the effort to not just coach the team, you had a social side to it, but work really hard with the committee and sponsors. And you sort of, that triangle of of hard work that you put in to connect it all uh, really brought about success multiple times. You'd like to think so. You'd like to think there's a common denominator um, between committee players uh, and, and myself. Um, you know, in terms of all all the the clubs that I've been involved in, I think everyone's been on the same page. Yep. Um, so I've always been, uh, to a large degree, over the I think the, what seventeen years that, that I coached, had the full support of the committee. There's been times, of course, when yeah. uh, as we mentioned before, when you you're struggling in terms of the position in the table. Um, but the players, the sponsors, the committee, uh, we've all been uh, pretty focused. And, you know, the recipe takes, for success, as you might say. It takes a lot of effort. I've been involved with a lot of coaches and sometimes all they want to do is coach. Yeah. So, you know, it took time from you to engage the committee at different levels and, and a bit more than maybe a normal coach would. Yeah. Well, I think I respect what committees do. Um, you know, I mean, it's not a question of how you get paid, um, but the hard work that all these committees, were, whether you're in the first division, second division, they're working because they've got a passion for the sport, whether their kids are playing, uh, and and they're, they're generating funds to support a coach yep. uh, because they want to be a bit more professional. Yep. All right, and if they want to be professional, then you've got to give. And you've got to create a culture um, of as, as to be as professional as you can, based on based on the circumstances. And the circumstances are that we are part time. Yeah. But I think in seventeen years, I'm probably proud to say that I never missed a training session. Wow. I remember being sick. That's a discipline on the, on, in itself. On, uh, sick on the hill with my coat on, but I never missed. I never missed a training session. So. And I think after the 17 years, I was probably about ready to... I had to make decisions in terms of work relation in the end. 
yeah, and, and that's what I was going to ask you after taking the White Eagles back in '94 to to the Premier League and and um, uh, being tenth out of twelfth, um, rather than the results, was at the end of that year for you was that more of that sense of I've yeah. been in the game a long time, I've been burning the candles at both ends, so to speak. To well, that's right. I mean, then it, have a rest. Yeah, well, I, well, as you say, I get. I was very fortunate, as we mentioned many, many times about the Harrigan Ford. Yeah. Um, but you're always preparing your training sessions. Yeah. Um, whether it's uh, it's it's in your mind, you're setting those up, uh, and from a playing perspective, obviously injuries, hamstrings, backing off on your playing <laughs> certain amount of games. My enjoyment came from playing as well as coaching. Yeah. Um, once I couldn't play 90 minutes, um, and then I've got this focus on, I've got, I've got to balance work, yep. uh, where I want to go in terms of uh, my employer. Um, and that's when really I come to the conclusion after 95, uh, I, I've got a job that took me to Sydney and therefore I wouldn't be, I couldn't be as committed Yep. that had been over the, the last 17 years and there was no point in saying I'll come down for one night's training session <laughs> because... That's not you. That's not me. Uh, the late 90s, though, you did uh, volunteer your time on the Illawarra Soccer Association Board. So um, uh, how do you reflect on your time in the late 90s on, on being on the board and giving back in, in, in an administrative sense? Yeah, well, I, I, it was Norm, Norm Flanagan, of course, and Norm, Norm had... Um, as you well know, was a very successful coach and, and then uh, g- got involved with uh, the ISA as president. I was working in Sydney, living in Sydney, yep. and uh, Norm said, hey, why don't you come down and, and be part of the, the, um, uh, the ISA? Uh, and the difficulty was that I was in Sydney, so <laughs> I've got to travel back down here for, for meetings. I said, look, I can't, I can't be down there every week and I can't be standing on turnstiles but yeah. what, I, what I'm happy to do is come down and do some marketing yep. uh, and that, that that was my role so to speak and that's how the the Illawarra Credit Union sponsorship came about um, um, so that, that's how we, we got the, the initial Illawarra Credit Union sponsorship of the league and uh, was that just a, a, again because you're in Sydney working that after a, a couple of years you then sort of then didn't stay on the board. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't devote the amount of time being working in Sydney and getting down here. <laughs> and and once again, um, for me to say, look, I'll do this, but I can't be there on your turnstiles. I can't be doing this. I mean, we we, we had a very successful grand final. Yeah. I think at Brandon Park one year, and I, I got sponsors for we had we had the pitch. Um, with the paintings on there, about yeah. uh, sponsors on there on the side, we it was a very professional setup. Um, I think at that stage I'd come back and was working with Tory Toyota, yep. so we had uh, Toyota sponsorship for the day. We had flags everywhere, we had cars everywhere, we had cars. We uh, we tried to create a very very professional grand final. We had a good crowd at Brandon Park that time, um, but uh, you know the time comes from. In the end, the parting of the ways, I suppose. So over the course of your your playing career, uh, when you look back on it, and I know it's probably unfair 
for me to do this, but is there a period of time uh, where you were playing very well and, and enjoying your football? And I suppose, no, I don't think there's ever a time where I think, oh, gee, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing brilliantly. Or, uh, I mean, I enjoyed playing. Yeah. Uh, you, you're critical of your own game, of course. Um, I just love playing up front. I love taking people on. I love that. Yeah. I love that challenge, the one-on-one challenges. Um, uh, yeah, no, no, I don't think there's a time that really I thought that. Gee, I, I am, <laughs> I am consistently um, playing the top of my game. Uh, I think, yeah. Once again, when I, when I first came back to the Illawarra, playing as player coach, well, you're fit. You yeah. you'd be expected to be slightly yeah. elevated yeah. based on where you've come from uh, on what you've done. Just the same as when you originally come from the UK. I mean, there's so many players that I mentioned early on that have probably come from English football and played out in Australia and done extremely well. And then, as I say, there's players, young young players out in the UK that are kicking the ball in their cul-de-sacs today that are more talented than Robert Fryer and some of the other people that, that didn't get their opportunity, you know. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Even today, even today. And any um, sort of goals that you scored that were just spectacular, that sort of stick in your mind, that um, yeah. you think at times when you you look back, whether it be in the UK or here, that you think, geez. Yeah, well, it, we, we, at the grand final last week, we, I was with Craig Thompson and Daryl Waller, and we were talking about uh, one particular game at Lysart and it was a free kick uh, outside the box yep. uh, it set the wall up and uh, I, I just connected it with nice and neatly and it rocketed in the top right corner <laughs> the referee disallowed it and we're all looking around saying sorry what 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 what's it disallowed I didn't blow my whistle <laughs> so we respotted it Smacked it again, same spot, same corner, <laughs> scored a goal. So that that stuck out in Craig's mind, and uh, it sticks out in my mind today. That just simultaneously, two shots, same area, same spot, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and the same result. Uh, is there anything else? Um, we're finishing up this, and I'm, I'm sincerely appreciative and respectful of you uh, allowing me into your house and. And giving up your time generously to, to do this interview, it means a lot to me and, and there's some great stuff. Is there anything else that you'd like to sort of further talk about? No, we were talking about a time back in the UK. Uh, I, I suppose for me, you, there'll always be memories when you played um, in, in some of the bigger grounds. Uh, yeah. I've, I've reminiscing before, so obviously Old Trafford uh, with, with um, Old Trafford and Old Boys, but played at Villa Park with Birmingham, nice. um, Highbury. Uh, against Arsenal, White Hart Lane and Tottenham, uh, Upton Park, West Ham in wow. reserve grade games. Um, and uh, probably the, the one game that stands out more than it was a, a, an FA Cup, FA Youth Cup yeah. semi-final. And the semi-finals of the FA Youth are over two legs. Okay. So we played the first leg at Birmingham and drew and just over 25,000. Wow. Uh, went to Villa Park same thing, night games, 25,000 people there. Um, and we lost the game in the 88th minute from a corner where, uh, I don't know who one of the defenders was at the time, I won't blame him. Anyway, 
he's gone to clear it and it's hit the back of the head of one of the Villa players and gone in. Jeez. Oh, and we got beaten. We got beaten. Knocked out. But we had the very successful, um, well, obviously, youth side. When you look yeah. at, we had Paul Cooper, Trevor Francis, Kenny Burns, Ian Gallagher, um, you know, uh, Tony Shipman. You know, we, we had players that went on to play first grade for many, many years. Quality footballers. Uh, quality footballers so, um, a very good youth team. Robert, it's been uh, fascinating and, like I said, I've been waiting to do this for a while and I'd sincerely like to thank you uh, uh, for going back and and, and t- telling me and, and the listener your journey. Um, it's just been fantastic and it's given me a real buzz um, hearing about what you've done uh, overseas but, more importantly, what you've given to uh, a lot of people here and um, that's a lot of joy and, and uh, a lot of... Uh, giving back to the community. So I'd like to thank you very much for, for doing this podcast. It means a lot. Travis, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope uh, it, it provides some good listening. No, it definitely does. So thank you. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, mate. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 71. It is sincerely valued. Once again, thank you to Robert for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game and for allowing me into his home. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.